Hi, this is Ryan, and this will be our final episode of Potterfic Weekly, released prior to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Since he's the only one who seems to be able to articulate what I've been thinking for the past 18 months, this episode features music by Christian of Oliver Boyd and the Rememberals. If you like what you hear, and I'm sure you will, please check out his wizard rock at myspace.com slash Oliver Boyd and the Rememberals. Enjoy the show. For the 18th of July 2007, this is episode 22 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Welcome back to Parfake Weekly. This is Ryan. This is Rena. This is Jen. This is Chi. And I'm Mac. Just so everybody knows this week, Mac is on an eight-second delay from the rest of us. So once we've all moved on from a topic, Mac is still, you know, not quite there yet. So if it sounds like <laughs> Mac is broadcasting from the moon, it's really just Ohio. Okay, our episode tonight will have two parts. In the first part, we're going to conclude our discussion of the Seventh Horcrux. We're going to cover the last four chapters. We're going to bring Melinda in and just have a conversation about the Seventh Horcrux, why she wrote it, what things we missed, what things she disagrees with, and that will wrap our discussion of the Seventh Horcrux. Over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of go off schedule a little bit. We have podcasts coming out for a little thing called Deathly Hallows. We have a podcast coming out for the movie. We have a survival guide for people coming to fan fiction because their favorite character was just killed. And a whole, yeah, you have to love Hum the Blunt one. And I'm sorry they had to die. Really sorry. And uh, we're going to start our third uh, discussion of A Year Like None Other on uh, August 15th. So make sure you tune in for that. We're going to try and shake the show up a little bit for those 12 episodes and try and come at it from a more character-based angle than a plot-based angle. And you really don't need to hear this all right now, so let's move on. Jen, what happened to you this week? Well, not necessarily this week, but today I have to say that everybody in the podcast waited almost an hour for me because I was in the car. And y'all have to understand that where we live, you know, and I finally understood the difference between freeways and highways. Well, we have a highway 
and it's been on like a 10-year plan of fixing it up, you know. Well, you know, so like over the past 10 years, I mean, I've gone to college, I went to high school, high school a little bit, and like they've kind of done this and that. Well, for some reason, they're building an overpass, sort of, except instead of an overpass that goes, um, you know, crossways over the road, it like goes with the road. So it's a huge project and a huge deal. And so this 10-year project, they started building it yesterday. <laughs> and it has to be done by Thursday. <laughs> I'm not even joking when I tell you they started. Like, my house is only, like, eight and a half minutes from our studio. And they have started between the two of us. So, literally, I have to detour, like, 45 minutes to get to my eight and a half minute job. And it's ridiculous and so so I get there and you know they have all of those people wearing those grungy stuff and they're moving big bricks and stuff and I'm like they're going to build this overpass out of some little bricks <laughs> so the way to get get home this morning was was open but when I left work it wasn't so I didn't know and that's why I ended up having a detour back all the way home and because it was such, it's a one-way road, and, you know, they went from a three-way to a one-back road, it literally was just stopped. So, so anyway, I'm real sorry. <laughs> so, Jen calls me to say she's going to be late for the podcast. I'm like, that's fine, Jen. Well, wait, hold on. I have another call. It's cheap. <laughs> I don't know how much y'all know about Kansas, but I, I'm pretty sure you have a pretty good idea what it's like. Like, if you were to stand on the edge of the world and look out over and just see like miles and miles and miles of prairie okay that's kansas mm-hmm. that's where i live and i normally i don't have to deal with traffic except when i go home to kansas city well i was going home to kansas city and i was driving through a small town called overbrook and i get to the edge of overbrook and there's this like line of cars and traffic it's stopped like stopped nobody is moving and this is a road that you can normally go 75 or 80 on even though the speed limit's like 55 because there's nobody out there and i sat in this line of cars because some person some poor unfortunate soul had taken taken the curve on this road too fast and had hit the light pole and the light pole was down and the suv was destroyed and so that was my traffic jam in rural kansas and that was why i was late Now, I want to complain about traffic. I go and visit my fiancé every two weeks. So I leave work, and I drive to the train station, and I go to New York City. And every week, the ride to the train station takes me about, say, two and a half hours. And I always just miss the train. I I just miss it, and I have to wait 20 minutes for the next one. So I said, mwahaha, I will leave work 30 minutes earlier and I will catch the train with 10 minutes to spare. See how I did that right there? So I leave work, and I'm driving you know, so well, and things are going so well, I'm actually now 40 minutes early, and I'm just, I'm going to catch like two trains early. I'm so excited. I get, I drive literally, you know, 150 miles. I come to the last mile of the trip, and traffic is stopped. Now, I don't mean traffic is running slowly. I don't mean, you know, like, you know, slow down to, you know, 20 miles an hour. I mean, people are getting out of their cars because they've been sitting next to the car next to them for so long. They feel they need to go over and introduce themselves. (laughs) Now, I sat in traffic for 40 minutes to get the last three quarters of a mile 
to the train station. I literally had to, like, you know, pee as I was running to the train. And just made it onto the train. They have bathrooms on trains? They do, but I don't think anyone has ever used them. Yeah, that's kind of like using a train on a bus, isn't it? Just like one of those. I think there's a hole in the bottom of the train and you just pee in the tracks and hope you don't get electrocuted. It's a Flintstone train. <laughs> it is. I think that's it. <laughs> Completely off the subject, but I really think, I think it was, um, who was it? The first person that responded to your who is Bernard question. Yes. Whoever that was needs to get the points because they were like, it's a dog or something. It's an animal. And there's absolutely no way anybody's going to get that it's a goat. Was it Jake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it possibly. You know I, why I, I know that? Jake is the only person that posts on the forum. <laughs> so it had to have been Jake. Oh, my. He's going oh. crazy, isn't he? <laughs> How is Bernie? my goat. He's my neighbor's goat. I and at the moment, he's actually, he's actually at my mother-in-law's house. You loaned I, your goat to your I, mother-in-law? I live in my husband's um, hometown now, and this is where we got married. And so I was having to drive back and forth from where we were living at the time to here to deal with all the wedding stuff. And on top of that, we were having to move my in-laws out of their house in July in Arkansas. So it's like 900 degrees outside. They've been in the process of building this house since then. It'll be, I guess, three years in like um, September that they've been in the process of building this house. They moved in two months ago, but the front yard was just a mess. It was just all the overgrown junk that they had, you know, it was brush that they'd cleared out of the way and dirt and all this grass got transplanted. So there was tons of weeds and all this kind of stuff in their front yard. And my mother-in-law was not about to get out and mow the yard and she didn't want to break her mower or risk breaking her mower on all the junk that's da, out da, there. Da, da, da. So Bernard showed so up. So Bernard... <laughs> So I made a comment once. I was like, yeah, we just had Mrs. Broyles' goat come over and and eat our grass in the backyard. And she's like, that's not a bad idea. So she went over. She came by the house one day so she could go talk to our neighbor. And, and they borrowed Bernard. All right, so Bernard. All right. All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your mother. What does your mother-in-law drive? A minivan. So she put Bernard in the minivan. Yeah. And drove home. Yeah. How far away does she live? Uh, about two miles. What does Bernard do in the trip? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't in the car. But apparently he was well behaved. Like, if that were me, I would think I'm being kidnapped and this is where it all ends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bernard's a very even-tempered goat. Oh, for the love of God. Who would have guessed 20 episodes of when we started this whole project? Episode 21 with open with a discussion of how Bernard the goat is doing this week. <laughs> oh, my God. Aren't we on 22? Yes, this is episode 22. Oops. Oh, I was like, I think we're past chapter 22. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember, really. Why don't we jump into the chapters for tonight's episode? We're going to cover the last four chapters of the seventh Horcrux. And one comparison I would like to make in the very beginning is, I know Mac hasn't read any of uh, Melinda's other stuff, but I was immediately struck by the similarities between the seventh Horcrux and her previous uh, two-parter, the Power of Emotion two-parter, in that Melinda is the type of person that really understands the importance of an epilogue and the importance of wrapping up a story. You could wrap up a story in one chapter... 
and you could make it very poignant and you could really try and briefly go through what happens to everybody and kind of leave people wanting more. Or you can do something where you take like a lot of time for, for the closing. You can put, you know, four chapters worth of, of epilogue in there. And at first you might think, well, that seems like too much. It seems like the action just stops and then you're kind of waiting for it to end. I don't think that at all. And I really like the choice that Melinda makes. I really like that she gives us a lot of epilogue. And I think that when you compare, we talked about this last week, about how she recycles some plot elements from herself. I really like this epilogue better than her previous efforts. And I think she may even disagree with that. But I really think that she did things differently this time. And I think it it improved... Uh, the quality of the goodbye, and I definitely liked what she did before. So it's you know it's like going from a, like a nine to a ten. But I really think she improved upon her previous stuff tonight. Uh, who wants to start us off? One, two, three, not it. Not it. <laughs> I want to do the la- the ending chapters. Verena. So we're jumping in, and this is one of the things that I really kind of like about the stories because you kind of you get the sense of how disoriented everything is, you know, and Harry points out that Riddle's hair has gone gray, which, which is something that, you know, when you're busy, not focusing on the big picture, that's something that would jump out at you. You know, it's the little things that just kind of, when you're not, when you're wanting to avoid looking at something, you're going to pick out, Oh, there's a bug on the wall. Oh, you know, little stuff like that. His hair is gray. Yeah, and you, you killed the I, Dark Lord, but doesn't his hair look nice? It's Yeah, exactly. It's that whole sense of unreality about the whole thing. And part of it is because, I mean, if you put yourself in this kid's shoes, he's, you know, all of 17 years old, and he's just defeated the most evil dark wizard of their time. Now, I know myself at 17, there's no way I could have pulled this off. I mean, no. I was an idiot when I was 17. Come on, weren't yeah, we all? I was really stupid. <laughs> Rena, Rena um, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Rena, you were 17? <laughs> Shut up! Sorry, Inside Joke, Episode 3. Go back and listen. <laughs> hold on, Rena. What, one of our episodes is named Cat in a Burrito, and I think that was in reference to something you did around the time you were 17. I wasn't 17, but I know what you're talking about, yeah. Really? It was when I was young and stupid. Okay. I just wanted to well, hear yeah. Mac, were you ever I, young and stupid? I'm old and stupid, so I'm assuming <laughs> I was young and stupid. There you go. Just wanted to double check and make sure on that one. I don't, I don't know if I was stupid at 17. I, yeah, 17 was two, year, two, two years ago for me. At 17, <laughs> I'd, I, at 17, I'd already written two novel-length Harry Potter fan fiction and, and was a beta, so I don't know if I would go with stupid, but... You will look back, honey, on this time of your life when you were 17. When you reach the, the ripe old age that the rest of us have, you will look back on yourself at that age and be like, oh, my God, I was such an idiot. I mean, just oh, I'm sure. in, in not even in intellectual capacity, but in everything else. You're just like, what the hell was I doing? What the hell was I thinking? What is going should, on with me at that time? We should let was- she enjoy being 19, though. Do you remember 19? <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> I remember 19, yes. I remember it well. I wore a suit. I had the briefcase. It was wonderful. <laughs> what? I was one of did those. Did you have ha- hair? I had. Ha- did I have hair? No. I didn't. No, I, oh, I definitely was. 
I was the kid when I was 17 years old. I was the kid who like worked full time, had the suit. I balanced my check. Oh my god, I was yeah. I I missed over a certain stage of life there, but yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining Ryan as an eight year old playing checkbook or something. Oh no, I pl- I played school when I was eight years old. Yeah, not me. I looked like I was stuck in the 60s. I mean, come on. I was a moron when I was 17. I well, it's I the 70s, and the 70s and the I... 60s are a lot alike. Hey, now. Yeah, I was not 17 in the 70s, okay? <laughs> Rena is 47 years old. Doesn't she hide it well, everybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't that make sense. I'm like 47. <laughs> I'm doing math in my head, and there's no way that works out. No. Yeah. No. So our consensus, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I balance my checkbook and wear a suit at 17, and everyone's laughing at me. Harry defeats an evil dark lord, and it's, ooh, Harry. (laughs) You can't compare the two. What are you talking about? I don't know, but I think I should be getting more credit than I am. (laughs) I don't balance my checkbook now. I just hope at the end of the month with my fingers (laughs) crossed. (laughs) That's my strategy. It's worked so far. I can tell for my next birthday, Jen's going to write me like a check for my birthday and there'll be question marks all over it. <laughs> when I finally end up doing my own taxes, I'm going to be calling Ryan weeping. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Just Thank a, God for, uh, what's that program that everybody's their taxes on? Tax Turbo, Turbo? Turbo Tax. Turbo Tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel really good Turbo about tax. your tax. I feel really good about cheese uh, <laughs> tax returns here. Tax Turbo? <laughs> Luckily, I got married to someone who can do this stuff and allows me to play in the Harry Potter world. So we get, you know, he's drifting over the scene. He's watching Ron and Hermione. He's he's disconnected. And it's that same sense of, you know, confusion. You know, he doesn't really know what's going on. He's thinking about what Dumbledore had said to him and not what has just happened. And so he, he floats in through the love room and it's, it's nothing and it's nothing and then all of a sudden dun, 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 it's Dumbledore <laughs> and he's not a portrait and so I can dig it this time but he's you know the wise old man and not you know the fortune cookie <laughs> the fortune cookie <laughs> yeah no I expected Dumbledore the portrait to be a fortune cookie like would you like a lemon drop oh I don't, see we yeah. don't know a whole lot about portraits and how close they are to people's real yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we did the whole thing last week. and Oh, you did the whole thing last week? Okay, then I'll shut up. Obviously, I don't have anything to add. <sighs> okay, run it go. <laughs> oh! All of a sudden, Harry realizes that the room he's in, it looks like the Gryffindor common room. And Dumbledore explains to him, and this is something that I thought was very reflective of Harry and canon, is that this is the place that he feels the most comfortable. You know, this is where he wants, this is his home. And so, and of course, you know, Dumbledore is excited about that because, you know, Harry's always been special to him. And so they they discuss what's going on. And and Harry has to deal with the fact that he has killed someone. And even, you know, there are people, soldiers that come back from war that have to deal with the same thing. You know, they were told to kill and they did. And that doesn't mean that it sits well with them. It doesn't mean that they agree with it, that they like what they did. They did what they had to do. And now Harry's having to deal with that same thing. As we're recording this, we are less than two weeks away from the release of Deathly Hallows. And we're wondering how the final battle will actually end. 
I am of the belief that Voldemort will not die in the traditional sense, that he'll you know, remain behind as a ghost because he's so afraid of death. And I'm under the belief that there, there's something we're not seeing. I don't think Harry will you know, say Avada Kedavra and just kill him. I, I think that's too easy. And I think there's something that we'll all slap ourselves in the head when we see it. But that's what's important because Harry isn't a killer. And Harry, as we have you know, been shown, couldn't even kill Bellatrix Lestrange after she killed Sirius. And I don't know. It just it's, it it seems like Harry would have the the hardest time with that, even if he is killing his parents' murderer. I think it really shows what a strong-willed person and a strong ethical person Harry is that he couldn't even kill his parents' killer, mm-hmm. you know, without having to go through literally a conversation with the dead. And it's something that, you know, if he didn't have this moment, if he, you know, collapsed, you know, at Tom Riddle's feet and woke up at St. Mungo's, I don't know if he could go on, even though that would be the absolute best case scenario. So I think I just really want to focus on just how strong of a character Harry is that, you know, Joe Rowling has said, you know, if Harry were a real person, he'd be in a mental institution by book five. I mean, you can't put a like a 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old through this stuff and expect them to behave, you know, like, you know, like like a U.S. Marine. But yeah. Yeah, but I, I just really think that Harry, the only way he as a character could get through this is by confronting the people he feels he's either let down or had to avenge, you know, and so forth. So I really like a lot the fact that he essentially goes through the veil, so to speak, and, you know, speaks to those who have gone before him. I think you almost have to give Harry this treat as a reward for everything that he's had to go through these past seven years. Because if after this final battle with a drought of the living dead in him, barely alive himself, he just wakes up in St. Mungo's, he's not going to have the closure that he needs from this seven-year struggle. And by allowing him to speak with Dumbledore, then Sirius, Remus, hear from all the people that meant most to him that what he did was right and how important that was and that way when he does end up waking up at St. Mungo's it's much easier to begin really living his life than having to think about all the loved ones that he's lost because he gets this chance to be with them one last time you know this is essentially Harry you know curling up into himself he feels most comfortable at Hogwarts he feels most comfortable in that common room and that's where he wants to be now because this is essentially you know chapter 30 is Harry healing himself and I, when we have melinda on later there's some story she told me about um the reaction to this chapter i really can't wait to ask her about but we'll get to that later but you know this chapter is essentially everything that we really look for you know from the conclusion of harry potter you know joe and, and you know the, the fanfic authors have spent years and years and you know in every different variety of just torturing this poor kid and this is essentially the chapter where, where Harry's done. And I think it's very fitting that when you're busy, when you have, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a soldier in combat, you can be so, you know, rushed with adrenaline that you may not realize you've been shot. And once you calm down and realize it, then you start to feel the pain and then you start to feel the aches and you start to feel the bleeding. And it's really like that with Harry. He's been on the run for so long that now it's over and kind of like, you know, what we were talking about in After the End, this isn't like, 
you know, okay, the war's over, and, you know, the next chapter they're having, you know, parties and fireworks, and Harry's mm-hmm. running around dancing with Ginny. It's not really that type of story. This is a story where Harry has killed, you know, the, the most evil, vile, you know, character that we could, you know, hope to imagine, and he's killed. And that, it, it's not about Voldemort. It's, and, and I give Melinda credit for bringing that about in the story. Voldemort doesn't matter. Harry matters. It's never been about Voldemort's plans or his aims or why he thinks what he thinks. It's about how does this character teach us more about Harry and Hermione and their friendship and Ron and the Weasleys. So I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I really like the retrospective nature of this chapter a lot. I like, yeah, I especially liked that, that he, he needed to go to this room and he needed to feel loved and he needed to kind of just take a breather and I really like what the room offered. It gave him a little bit of perspective that he really just needed. He was he just seemed, was so lost, like he was ready to just give up. Um, Mac, I know that you haven't um, read anything else by Melinda, and this is similar to something that she's done before. And what I like about it this time is this isn't mm-hmm. Harry going to the other side with a choice. He's not there to choose whether to die or whether to live. It, this isn't a matter of how much does living matter to Harry. This is Harry coming to accept the fact that he's going to go back, and it's going to be hard, and it really starts now. Like with 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 our previous story, you know, the the whole story was how do you react to what just happened? Harry, this is like the point before you know we've encountered Harry before in our fan fiction journey here, where he is making that realization that you know the the pain starts now, the rebuilding starts now, my life starts now. It's something that you can really screw up, I think, if you're not really good at it. I think that you could very easily make it extremely hokey, and you could have, you know, there's Grandpa in the corner, and there's, you know, the bunny... <laughs> make it very Wizard of Oz Yeah, I saw you there, and you were there. Yeah, and, there, and, and there's the bunny <laughs> rabbit, you know, who that we buried in the backyard when I was five, even though the Dursleys wouldn't... You know, the Dursleys would give, give Harry, you know, like, Dudley's dead rabbit, and that could be his pet, but... Um, <laughs> that's worse than snot. I like snot because can't you picture a little Ginny? Snot, snot. I know. I love snot. I can't. I can't diss snot. I love it. <laughs> I have my own snot just because of the story. Do you really? <sighs> no. Huh. I didn't know <laughs> I mean, you go to Walmart yeah. all week. You spend your money on something. I figured you found a really ugly stuffed animal and you bought it. What do I know? Oh, it's cute, actually. All right, I got snot. <laughs> Thank you, Mac, for jumping in there. (laughs) Very profound. Thank you. But, yeah, I mean, like, here's the deal. If you get to talk to people who have died, I think you always wonder, if you've been someone, and I've gone through this, if you have lost someone close to you, you you go through life wondering what would they think? And, you know, how would they react to this situation? I know how they've reacted in the past, but you never quite know. And even if you're a person of deep faith, there's always that little bit of doubt in there. You know, would things really be okay? And, you you know, Harry gets to see Dumbledore and he gets to know that Dumbledore is okay. And that Dumbledore is going on to his, you know, next great adventure soon. And he's been holding back, you know, that, that journey to make sure that Harry's okay. And you see Remus and Tonks, and they didn't mind dying for Harry and dying to save the others. And 
Sirius missed the final battle because he was trying to pick up a woman. I mean, when you're Harry, think of all of the fan fictions we've read, you know, that take place in sixth year where Harry is, you know, depressed and he wants to kill himself and he's, you know, he, he, he you know, usually it takes Ginny to pull him out of his shell because he's so upset that Sirius died. And then picture, you know, all of our lives when, when we lose a parent or we lose a spouse or we lose a sibling and you, your life just ends. Now picture you finally get to meet that person on the other side and they're like on a date and they can't come to the phone right now. I'd feel good about that. I would too. I mean, I think I give Melinda, you know, tremendous credit for letting Harry see that even though you've suffered so much, everything's going to be okay. I really liked how normal she made them, that they, they could have been so, you know, all knowing when people die and they just know what's happened and they know what's to come and they're very foreshadowing and profound and prolific and all of those big words. And they, they have a not, glow about them and there's like exactly. an unseen light source. And, and I really liked how they're, these are the same characters that we knew and loved. They, they haven't changed. I mean, yeah, they're dead, but it's like they're still living again and they get to see each other and they get to hang out with each other and it's like life after life and it's not scary though I have to say that I was a little confused with the if he's not dead he's not in heaven it's like a waiting area well here's the thing so have they all been waiting for him because like Dumbledore mentioned that he was waiting for Harry and now he could go you know I, that that was left you? unclear, and I don't think it's something we're supposed to know or really think about too much. I mean, you can make you can make, <laughs> okay. no, seriously. You can like Sirius, you know, you know, was watching and he missed the final battle, which is something that would happen to me. I would like miss the fact that the war just ended because I'd be trying to park my car. Like I, I like that would happen to me. But did they all wait behind just to see how it turned out? Maybe, maybe they like came back and Dumbledore has been the guy who's been sleeping in the parking lot all this time because he didn't want to miss anything. Like I don't know, but. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Like, you could easily picture Sirius, like, this evening after, you know, the scene ends, you know, on the phone complaining about his long-distance carrier. I mean, they're not dead. They're, they're just doing something else now. And, you know, I even love it. You know, Sirius is chatting up a witch. Okay, so are there muggles <laughs> there? Is it kind of like, you know, can you still do magic? I just, they're, they're the people that you know, were taken. And I really like, you know, and this is something that we got into uh, back in like chapter five, I believe chapter six with, uh, with, with James and Lily, you know, they died at like 20 years old. And now all yeah. of a sudden, you know, Harry's 17. So his parents are three years older than him, or do they just look three years older than him? And really they're like 45 years older than him. You know, would they react on the level of, you know, you know, Harry in his, you know, seventh year, you know, housemates, or would they react as, you know, parent to child? And I like the fact that they have the wisdom of people far beyond their years, but they look, you know, just like someone who, you know, might be a couple of years ahead of him at school. And I just, Agreed. I really love that. I, I'm glad they mentioned it because I honestly, like, I, I swear to God, everybody, I've been reading these chapters up until like the last couple of episodes. Like I finished the chapter and then put my headset on and be podcast. So I, <laughs> I, like, I had no idea what was, you know, coming. And I just thought that was a really, uh, it was great. And I, I just have to say this. I loved Lily Potter. I loved, you know, her goodbye to Harry where she comes up and she, you know, hugs him and she kisses him and she backs away and she walks up and gives him another hug and kisses him. And then she like backs away and run, walks up and like rubs. It's like, she's been waiting for this, you know, for, for 17 years. And I'm she, yeah, I mean, that was just, 
such a good jo- yeah and it's, <laughs> yeah and this is someone like there's even like you know a joke in there where harry is blushing because this is a girl he may have actually like found cute you know if he other because she looks you know, like someone his age but it's his mom and i love the fact that he was so afraid to call them they were the last ones that he called i don't th- that i think was was just a really beautiful point because like seriously like I've lost, you know, many people I've lost, you know, a parent, I've lost, you know, very close members of my family. And like, there's, there were, there were days in the beginning where I had like 50 questions for each of them. And like, if I could have them back for a day, you know, that I would give anything for it. And if you said to me like right now, okay, you know, if you, if you call your father back, he'll appear in the room, I would hesitate a little bit for that because that, you know, what if they're not proud of me? What if I screwed something up? What if they're not what I imagined them to be because I've been building them up in my head? Melinda does a really good job here of isolating the fact that life isn't, you know, that cut and dry. And this isn't, you know, like a first grade bedtime story. This is deep stuff. And and I don't know. I, I don't think I can really say enough about the scene and you know how much it heals the reader who's been like reading through all this angst for 30 something chapters i just i just think well, it's extremely yeah i have to say that when i when the, it was very awkward for me to read james and harry their relationship mm-hmm. but and if, you know remus it was just kind of like nah. like i don't know if it's just because i just saw the movie the order of the phoenix but for some reason when harry and sirius see each other for the first time like, I just, I don't know, Mac, you've seen it. It just flashed back to the movie of them seeing each other. And it was like, it so thrilled me to read it. And um, and so to me, like that relationship of, of Sirius being the first person Harry wanted to see after Dumbledore and also, I don't know, it just meant so much to me. So I really, really particularly loved reading about Sirius seeing Harry again and, and Lily. Um, and James, I just felt... It was just kind of awkward. I, did y'all get that at all? Yeah, I kind of saw that because, you know, James is almost more buddy than father. You know, like one of the first things he talks about to him is Quidditch. But, you know, at the same time, they didn't get the chance. You know, even though Sirius got so little time with him, he still got time with him when he was 13, 15 years old. So he got to understand who Harry was parents the last time they saw him was when he was one year old. And even though they've been watching him, yeah. Lily's first reaction is, my baby, not look at what the man you've grown into. She, they, he's still a child of them. So this is the first time they've got to interact with one, each other, one another. And, and, you know, Lily comes off as very motherly. James doesn't come off quite as father. Well, no, I, let me even say one thing to that. Picture Harry. Like, Harry is is standing here petrified of the fact that he can call his parents now. And he's been waiting his entire life for this. And he all of a sudden gets them. He can call them and, and you know, he can experience that moment with them. James is, I would imagine, very much like Harry. He was the bully that Harry was. He, he most likely came from a loving family and he never had to want for anything, I just imagine, of James. And, you know, different upbringing. But I could imagine, you know... Harry standing there looking at like a version of himself that's three years older. And I could imagine James being like, I don't know what to say to this kid. 
he's my son, but you know, like I, I failed him. You know, I didn't I didn't stop the death either it's because of me. You know, his f- parents got killed, and he lived with Lily's relatives. You know, Vernon and Petunia raised him, and if he's anything like Harry, I'd imagine he feels tremendous guilt for failing his family. Th- I think that would be an awkward moment, but I love. The, the you know the like I always talk about fan fiction the road not traveled Godric's Hollow with a Quidditch hoop behind it and you know like a six year old boy you know with black hair that you know sticks out in all directions playing Quidditch with his dad with Lily you know with you know maybe like a pregnant belly and a baby in her arms like that's the image that sticks with me when I think of the scene it's that's what could have been and it, it it's not what was because of Voldemort. But that's over now, and things are going to get better. And because of what Harry went through, and because of his perseverance, and because of the people who he gets to say goodbye to now, he has the chance to have that for himself. And I think what really struck me most about this chapter is, you know, it's the expression, when you look at your children, you know, like, the one thing you ask for them is to do better than you did. And James and Lily didn't get to live. Sirius didn't really get to live to a ripe old age. Tonks and, you know, Remus never got the opportunity to have children and, you know, enjoy life together free of war. But because of them and because of the sacrifices each of them willingly made, every single one of them, sacrifices they willingly made, Harry gets the chance to have for his family what he never got himself. I just think just is just such a powerful scene that you know we look back at, at what we've been discussing for you know the past few weeks and this parts of the story we love this parts of the story we didn't love parts of it we felt were hokey and you know that's okay mm-hmm. melinda really got boxed in with what she had to write and we can all have different opinions but i don't think like i would really like to see someone who wasn't brought to tears by this chapter and you know melinda will get into that in a little bit you know some of the reactions uh, she's had to it but like, man this- you guys i seriously I like did that like hiccuping sob thing. Yeah. It was awful. I mean in a good way, like in a very emotional powerful way. And Matt, maybe it's just cuz I'm girly, but anyway. I was I was too. Mac, did you sob like a small child? No, I was I was dry eyed through the whole thing. Mac's lying. Such a man. Right Mac is lying. He's lying. Uh, no, it, <laughs> it, it didn't uh, it didn't I mean it was beautifully written and I was I was very touched by it but it uh it it takes a lot to get me to tear up you know and this this uh very rarely can reading do that to me you know cinematography if I can actually see it that will do it uh you know if they actually did this in the Deathly Hallows movie oh yeah I totally ball all right to see it Did happen, you cry in order? It, no Oh, I didn't either. So, okay, never mind. In the in the scene ends with Harry knowing he's got to go back. It's going to be hard, and you know Dumbledore walks him, you know, to the portrait hole. And I love that moment where Harry's ready to go back, but there's just one bit of unfinished business, and he turns around and he just grabs onto Dumbledore and just like buries his head in Dumbledore's beard and just you know has to say goodbye because he never got that in Half Blood Prince. And the relationship between Dumbledore and Harry, you know, to a small child reading the story, you know, Dumbledore is the wise old man who's taking care of Harry all of his life, to, to you know, the, to the adults, to the people listening to this podcast who have read this, it's it's a very complicated relationship that these guys have. And even with everything that Dumbledore screwed up, and in the seventh Horcrux, Dumbledore screws up much more than I think he, he will have um, turned out to have screwed up in canon. He, he always loved Harry too much. And if, you, if you're going to have a problem, that's a good one to have. And I, I was personally moved by the scene where Harry just walks back and hugs Dumbledore. The man who sent him to Privet Drive, the man that didn't tell him why he was hunted all of his life, you know, the man that 
you know, left him this burdensome task and, you know, with very few resources and tied his hands about how he had to go about, you know, solving it, you know, you could think of him that way, but to Harry, he's always Dumbledore and the man who saved him and the man that loved him. And I just thought that was a great sense of closure to the character. What did you guys think of the way the chapter ended, though, when Harry looks back and as he's returning to the world of the living and as his chest, you know, it, you know, it becomes burdensome, him returning to his physical body, he looks back and he can see the common room and the only sign that they were ever there, even though he knows they're watching him, the only sign that they were ever there was he can see their uh, their their Hogwarts glasses on the tables from when they had drinks together. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do this chapter. (laughs) Like, I'm seriously crying. I don't... (laughs) It's the most saddest thing ever. (laughs) I'm, like, reaching out my hands right now, guys. Like, I can hug Jen even though she's in Texas. Like, it's okay. I've been meeting myself. I'm so emotional over this. It's okay. He he gets to see... Jenny and everyone who actually lived through the adventure. That's happy. There are just empty cups left. <laughs> He's all alone. You know what that means, Jen? They enjoyed their drinks. They're dead. <laughs> we all die, Jen. Shut up. Right. <laughs> okay, now, before we go to the next chapter, there's one question that didn't get brought up that I was asking myself. What's that? And that is, his parents were, they said, we, we've, we've been watching you. We, we always watch you. Like the the whole gang, Sirius, Remus, Dumbledore, they've pretty much been watching him this whole time. But for the first, you know, twenty nine chapters, him and Ginny got kinda hot and heavy at some points. That was addressed. That was addressed and it's something I myself have thought, you know, in the past. Um Essentially, like, Sirius misses the final battle because he's off doing his own thing. And Melinda's version of the afterlife is very much, I think, like, you know, we all move upstairs and we get houses and we have jobs and we have, you know, we get stuck in traffic. And do they check in on him? Yeah, but it's not like, you know, they're there all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, there's some type of spiritual <laughs> equivalent to, you know, like the tie in the doorknob. <laughs> Jan, are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> oh, Jan. <laughs> I couldn't do that chapter. <laughs> I, like, seriously just cried through it. <laughs> Jen, do me a favor. When you're talking to Melinda later on, ask her about the U.S. Marine, okay? Okay. All right. I'm picturing actually. Let's picture the scene. They're 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 at the balcony of you know forever upstairs, and they're looking down. And, you know, it's Harry and Ginny after they retire to the room in Andromeda's house. I'm picturing Sirius going, yeah, Harry! And Rima saying, we shouldn't watch this. And Lily saying, my baby's growing up. And James just, you know, like, looking with, like, this very bashful look on his face. Like, I think that would actually be a funny fan art, you know, just to draw. I don't know. All right. Are we ready to move on to Harry waking up? Or, Jen, do you need a moment to compose yourself? I don't know. Let's just keep going. Okay. For everyone who is wondering what um, happened here, uh, she went to, I believe, see the movie about four minutes into tonight's podcast. So because it's Harry Potter related, we will forgive her. And Rena had to go pick up the goat. I love the fact that we have to plan our podcast around a goat. It's it's better than, you know, natural disasters, Bambi, tarantulas, cats and breeders. I hit Bambi on my own time, man. So... (laughs) All right, moving on. Now we have the customary part of the Harry Potter finale when Harry is so ill he can't move. And mm, parts I that... 
Yeah, the angst. And I love the... The description here is wonderful. The description of Harry, you know, he feels his body, you know, and it, you know, it, it hurts so much. And you, you can almost imagine, like, if you were to watch this, you know, in, you know, the seventh Horcrux of the movie, you know, the, the screen would just fade to black and then open up and someone would be standing over Harry and we go back to black again. And she does a really good job of representing the fact that, a, like, a very, very long period of time has you know gone on here and that really oh. just underscores how damaged this poor kid is i mean seriously and he hasn't seen the movie god ha- yeah and all i can say is you know i know this is the uk but in america there's 44 million people without health insurance and if harry is one of them you know in any way thank god they have national <laughs> health care over there could you imagine harry having to pay his own medical bills well at least they can go to st mungo's now well, this is true too. Yeah, and oh, thank you. Um, one thing just to You're point, out, I, <laughs> I I really like the way that Melinda describes, you know, the 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 end to the occupation of the Wizarding World. I was very impressed that she took, you know, the situation all the way to the wall. The Ministry has fallen. You know, Hogwarts is it. You know, this isn't like you know, there's those forces out there who can help. Everything is is gone you know the other ministries in the world you know are, are, aren't doing anything it's these guys versus you know the death eaters and that's it i love the fact that you know one of the things that's more and she mentioned this last time you know umbridge is scary voldemort not so much because none of us fears you know the you know the, the evil dark lord coming to you know kill us all but we do fear you know someone convincing you know the masses that they know what's best for them and to give up you know their rights and give up their freedoms and give up you know fairness for everybody and so forth and i really like the way she describes how the battle ended essentially the people woke up and they literally took the death eaters dragged them from their homes and killed them in the streets now that may be harsh but that's the mob mentality and I, I, something about the fact that you know freedom didn't die just really appealed to me, and like even like I'm not going to make this a political speech, and you know the politics doesn't come into this at all. But you know even you know wherever you are, whether you're far right, far left, in the middle, don't care. I think every person in the world should be hardened by the fact that no matter who's in charge, if the people get angry enough. And if, if the people in, in power screw up enough, the, the, the fact that the people will rise up and will throw, quote-unquote, the bums out of office is always a good thing, no matter who's in charge. I would hate to live in a world where people continuously screw up and, and, and keep their jobs and, you know, the people just, just say, we don't deserve any better. You know, like, like uh, that happened, you know, in the recent U.S. elections, you know, like, and if it happened the other way, you know, I, I, w- I would be just as hardened by it. It's always a good thing when the people get mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And I like the fact that the Wizarding World, who was ready to, you know, throw the Hermione's, you know, off the bus and to do, give Umbridge whatever she wanted and to, you know, make pathetic little monuments for because she saved the world. I'm glad that these people woke up, and I just thought that was a very positive message that Melinda left us with, even though she had, even though she had them shot dead in the streets. <laughs> well, here's the thing: they can't do Avada Kedavra. So, did they like, you know, beat them with boulders? I wonder what they did. I- yeah, I wondered. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you wondered what happened to the whales, so I figured you were wondering what happened to the dead. Oh, if only you knew what goes through my head when I read these fics, honestly. Jen, I think if we do enough of these episodes, I'm going to know exactly what goes through your head. <laughs> you Isn't it terrible? Fics. I'm such an embarrassment to myself. Anyway. <laughs> but Jen, we love you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank I think I, Mac is on a little bit of a delay tonight, so I'm not sure if he was acknowledging Jen as an embarrassment or whether he loves Jen. So we're going to leave that one open ended. Yeah, exactly. Or he's saying, Hi, I'm Mac, and welcome to Parfic Weekly. But um, he's yeah. saying, Off topic. Well, I have a bunch of stuff I want to hit, but Jen, uh, why don't you tell us what you like about these chapters in uh, St. Mungo's? Okay. To tell you the truth, as much as I liked this chapter, I did. Um, I could not control my enthusiasm for going to the end. It's like when I get my seventh book, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to restrain myself Jen. to start at the beginning and go through. I know. Isn't it terrible? Jen, you I can't know. do that. I know, but I don't know if I can help myself. Jen, you have to help yourself. Because you can't do Because I have to it. emotionally prepare myself for these things. I'm telling you. Jen, so I'm no. like fast forwarding through the end of this chapter. Like I no, went back Jen, and read do, it. Do you remember what happened to you the last <laughs> time you did that? You did that with after the end you did that with who was his name who who was the what was the guy's name the guy the light not the librarian the one that genia wrote after herself um the um the archivist um mr something um Uh, mac do you remember mr um sorry i don't know who uh the one that archibald no the one that we shipped with ron he was the he was the guy oh um mr doyle Doyle, yes. Yes, it was basically like you know you skipped the part with Mr. Doyle, and that's where all the go- that's where all the information came in. Jen, you can't promise promise me, Jen, I can't, you're not going to jump can't. to the end of Deathly Hallows, Jen. I really okay. I'm going to like try my hardest not to. How is that, Jennifer? Let's just call James <laughs> and have him <laughs> read it to her. Oh, Jennifer, God. I can't allow you to do that. This is the last <laughs> chance you're getting. You can't do that. I'm stopping this okay, podcast right I here. I promise. Oh. Okay, I promise that I won't do that. All right. I promise. So, it will be very hard. All right. Mac, go <laughs> I'm going to jump in. Yeah, I'm going to maybe get us on track a little bit. Um, <sighs> I mean, and I haven't read Melinda's stuff before, so I don't know if this is typical but having the entire chapter with Harry unconscious and everyone else kind of dealing with the aftermath, I like having it from everyone else's perspective. And just, well, no, he is at this point. Um, but seeing how everyone else handles what has happened to Harry, not from Harry's perspective, it, it, it mixes things up a little bit, and it makes it come more alive because the story is not entirely from Harry's point of view, and we see how exactly it has affected everyone. Yeah. You know, all the Weasleys, all the Wizarding World. To find that out, it's, it, that makes it even more interesting yeah, I mean, Melinda has done that throughout this story. If you'll remember when Harry um, lost consciousness with Ron and Hermione after they got the hu- the uh, Hufflepuff cup, Ginny was all by herself. And there were scenes yeah, after the Ministry attacks, you know, we have Ginny's perspective as as the survivors return to Hogwarts. So y- you, you do get that from Melinda. She does this a lot in Power of Emotion, too. She tells, you know, from Molly's perspective, why she feels as though she's Harry's surrogate mother. Um yeah, but that, I mean, this is the thing, and this is, I'm going to get into this a little bit later when we hit the epilogue. You know, the, people don't care about, as Renner would say, the ancillary characters. People don't read a fic to find out fun facts about Harry's son, who he may have someday. They want to know how Harry's son 
you know, what that means to Harry. They become emotionally invested in a few characters, and the point is, how do these other people reflect off of him? So, yeah, so how does what Harry did, you know, affect Hermione? How is Hermione affected by the fact that, you know, Harry will now live, in, you know, and, and Ginny gets that life, you know, with Harry that she may have doubted that she'd have, or, you know, hope strongly that she would have. So you really get to see, you know, the effect of what Harry did from other eyes, and I just, yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, and it goes the other way, too. Even when we don't get something from someone's perspective, we know enough about the character to know what that means. Like, for example, with Hermione, you can tell she really wants to try Dumbledore's device because she really wants to see if it works. And it's fascinating to her. And she doesn't mm-hmm. get the fact that maybe Harry, you know, is freaked as hell that it's going to show that Voldemort's still in there and he's traumatized from what just happened. And he hasn't even know if that was a dream or not he had in the common room and he barely remembers it but you know i love you know we keep getting you know that little character moment with hermione that she's annoying and she just won't shut up about it and even she's so annoying that even ron gets the fact that you know maybe this isn't a bright idea and ron has you know the the emotional you know yeah he's he's like a dump truck and even ron goes i think you're being a little insensitive for my like that whoa but you know but i just I really love how Melinda writes the angst of Harry trying to do this, not wanting to see if it's still in there. And Hermione is so sure that Voldemort is gone. She wants to. She's so excited to prove it to Harry. And even the thought that maybe she might be wrong is enough to send him wanting to go unconscious. I love. I just love that she captures the angst. Like, it gets to the point where me as the reader, does I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to be in the same room as it. I want Hermione to go away and, and just let me know that everything's okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I don't want to know. But Harry's and- proud, too. And he's, even though he's not 100% sure, he can't tell them, no, don't do it, I'm afraid. He just says, he, he's a rip-the-band-aid guy. Or as well, we saw earlier, know. you know... Sh- smack your broken shoulder into the wall kind of guy you know he needs to know exactly that's it even though it pains him oh it absolutely pains him but yeah he needs to know and that's that and the fact i love it you know instead of a snake the single soul of harry is represented as a phoenix and i love you know you can imagine in the movie it's this beautiful moment with you know the angelic music in the background and fox laments and (laughs) and all of a sudden ron's like do you do anything small (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like seriously, when I I took one class with uh, my fiance, I took one class, and she was the brains in the class, and I got a ninety nine on a, on an exam, and I was so proud of myself, and I turned around to show her my ninety nine, and she was sitting there with her paper on it, and her paper said one hundred and four, as she's mouthing to me, "I kicked your ass." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. Very sorry. I'm sorry, Ryan. Yes, That's- and you know what? I feel for Ron. Like you know, Ron just helped to be Vol. You know, you know, maybe like one day he can just do something better than Harry. And now Harry's soul's a freaking phoenix. Like, do you just? Yeah. <laughs> can you just make it stop? Can it be like you know a squirrel or something or like something effeminate? I don't know, like a daisy flower or something. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> no. It couldn't be anything but a phoenix. I know. Everything, I, is, yeah. Phoenix is code word for ooh. For ooh. <laughs> one, mo- one moment I do want to get to that I love. Um, when Harry finally wakes up, 
Hermione looks over and says, "Okay, Harry, you you have to pretend you didn't wake up because Ginny's gonna kill us if she realizes we forced her yeah. to go to bed." And I I just love that too that you know they literally had to like tie Ginny down to get her away. And Harry was so scared he didn't know what was happening. He couldn't feel. He was so confused. Yeah, he couldn't feel his arm, and you know he just he was so confused and. Even when Ginny gets back there, Ginny is such a coming influence. When the nurses come in, they like knock her out of the way, and they're like, you know, they're dumping stuff down his throat. Now, okay, the guy just took the, you know, the drought of the living death, and they're shoving liquids down his throat. He doesn't know who they are. He's fighting them. And I love Ginny, you morons, you know, bedside manner, and they're even afraid to say Voldemort at that point and she's like he's dead he's gone and I love the fact that Ginny is 16 years old 17 years old and she's the only person in this room who knows what the hell she's doing and you know we were talking yeah we were talking earlier about like I'm the 17 year old with the suit on like I feel like Ginny at this point because she's not she's never going to be a normal kid that's not the path she had chosen for her but I just love how when when you put someone much older who should be much wiser than Ginny in a room, she's the only person you know who gets what's happening. I just have to say how much I mean. I loved the Ginny part, but I loved that Harry that her that it was Hermione who was actually there when Harry woke up. Like I thought it was it was just enough of an addition to Harry's angst and un- and discomfort with everything that's been going on and it was just that extra uh, even when he's awake here he still is not getting what he needs he d- he's not getting what he wants Hermione I mean he loves Hermione of course he loves Hermione but she is not who he needs right now and I just loved that it was Hermione that was there when he woke up even th- and I and I and I I really liked your analogy that you said a while ago about how all these scenes feel like it's like fade in to Harry waking up and then it fades to black again yeah. and it, because it's so feels like that and when Jenny finally shows up I don't know about y'all but when I read it was like my shoulders relaxed with Harry's like at that point I knew because Harry knew that everything was going to be okay even if things weren't okay but they are good. <laughs> and we as the reader know that everything will be okay. I mean, we were worried for a bit that Fred and George weren't going to make it, but all of the Weasleys made it. We, we we hear, you know, through other characters, you know, what happened to Hogwarts and that the Death Eaters turned on themselves and that the Dark Marks disappeared. And, you know, we we, we hear some fun stories. You know, Fleur killed, you know, Fenrir Greyback and, you, you, you know, Bellatrix and our sister and everything that happened to all of these characters and you know all the all, all the bodies on the ground but what I remember about that scene more than everything more than the fact that all the Weasleys lived and you know everything that happened all the Weasley men have scars even Fleur have mm-hmm. scars because they didn't want Harry to feel left out <laughs> yeah. like like how great is that I'm sorry like we were talking about scars but like that was just a like that, like you know, what, it's you mentioned in the last episode, Jen. You know, things that you remember when a fic is done. I will remember this fic for the fact that the Weasley men all wanted scars to be like Harry, not because yeah. they want to be cool, but because you know, if Harry's going to have a scar, we're having one too because he's our brother and he's our right. son. And I just thought that, I thought was, that was very nice. Yeah. I-, I couldn't hold it in. I was crying throughout <laughs> this whole chapter. Yay! Yes! Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. Success. I was just going to say how much I really liked that. I forgot to mention this, that this entire dialogue is done with Harry, like choking out one word and Hermione having a complete conversation with him. And he, he cares about his, he's in pain 
and he can't feel his arm, and so he's worried about his arm. And then he's concerned. He, he wants to know if he's going to heal. And when Harry, when Hermione blinks quickly, I was sure that Harry was going to lose his arm. I was sure that he would never be the same. And he starts asking for each of the people who helped. Jenny, Ron, Draco, mm-hmm. Dumbledore. And, uh, you know... Sorry, I just I can't talk about that scene. It's just so good, and I keep going back to it. And we can move on, but God, I love that scene between Harry and Hermione before Jenny gets there. Yeah, because and you were talking about this um, <laughs> back in the after the end that Harry and Hermione always seem to get you know unless it's a Harry Hermione ship, they always seem to get the shaft to some degree because yeah, you know it, it's like in canon, you know it's very difficult to have Hermione Granger as your best friend. You know Hermione works as part of the team. She and Harry together without Ron, you know, is kind of like peanut butter and jelly without the bread. You know, you need kind of like the, the the cohesion that the that the trio provides, but. It's so emotional all around, you know, and, and even take it to the next degree. You know, you have Harry laying in bed and, you know, the door bursts open and he grabs for his wand, but it's not there. And he doesn't have his glasses and it's a reporter screaming questions at him. And he, he, he he's so confused. He doesn't know what's happening. And all of a sudden, you know, Charlie Weasley, you know, bursts through and literally nearly kills this reporter. And I was like screaming, yeah, yeah. Like, like I yeah, was like, too. I was really going for Charlie there. But then when Harry says, Charlie, wasn't that a little, you know, much? I'm like, Ooh, if Harry thinks it's a little much, maybe I should re-examine my position on you know, the fourth <laughs> on the fourth estate. And you know, you you. I still agree with Charlie, though. Yeah, I don't. But you know, I, <laughs> but I love the fact that we find out there's been an attack on the borough, and we hear because oh. but we hear about it through Harry. We we are Harry. We get the same information. We had no advance warning. You know, there's all this stuff happening out there that we aren't privy to because we are getting this from Harry's perspective. We don't leave this room unless Harry leaves this room. And it's just such a great, you know, plot device that, you know, not, you can feel Harry's sense of collapse that, you know, this is all supposed to be over. Why isn't this over? And I, I really even, you know, appreciate the scene that even Ginny says, we are going to get through this. We have, you know, that life together. And it's, it's, it's I, uh, like, I'm just, I'm, uh, I have so many things I want to say here. You know, even, okay, he goes across the hall to see Draco Malfoy. Look at Draco. Draco's life is essentially over. His name yeah. is ruined. He has no family. He lost his love. He lost everything that Harry kept. And yeah. there's, there's nothing Harry can say to make it better. There's nothing that, you know, Draco wants to hear from Harry. And, you know, you can't apologize. You can't say you're sorry. You can't, you know, treat it like it doesn't matter. Ron tries to joke with him and say, isn't this ironic that you're going to live with muggle relatives that blame you for the death of a family member? And even Harry says, Ron, get out of here. Like, we can't like even Harry gets that there's lines that Draco Malfoy right. deserves like a basement level of respect and you know without well, Draco the irony the irony is humorous but an iron an ironic situation that is so leaves a person alone and and Harry who better knows what alone feels like than Harry it was i thought it was extremely insensitive of Ron at that moment oh, and was. i totally yeah. was in agreement with Harry <laughs> yeah i want to jump in right here and just say I mean, like, there are a lot of things where even after, when you get to the end, Draco is still pompous and you still just want to hate him. But this is the first one that I've read, because I haven't read very many, where when we got to this stage after Draco had done everything he did to help Harry and the gang at the end, he begrudgingly earned my respect 
And right there, you know, you could see that line that had been crossed between Harry and Draco, and Ron's a little slow on the uptake, but so am I. But I'm glad, you know, this is the first fic where I finally said, you know, Draco could be okay. I can see where this is going, and I like that it's kind of putting Draco in Harry's shoes, because Harry began with nothing. Mm-hmm. And only when he came to Hogwarts did he really start to gain something in life. And Draco's in the exact different position. When he came to Hogwarts, he had everything in the world. And now he has nothing. So it's kind of knocking him back a bit. But you see, this is a real chance for Draco to grow. And I could almost see like a Draco sequel to be written after this from Draco's perspective. Yeah, I mean, that is the hallmark of well-done fanfic. And it's, uh, I thank you for saying that, because now I get to actually give an example for what I've been talking about. You have to take... If you're going to take Draco and make him into a good guy or a guy that you know Harry can go have a beer with, you can't take Draco after Half-Blood Prince, move him up two chapters, and have him be a good guy, because I won't read it because it makes no sense. Melinda took the character from the end of Half-Blood Prince, and she moved him over the course of 30-something chapters... She reasonably and realistically moved him to a character who now I feel bad for. And it didn't feel like she was, you know, changing the character to force him into that, you know, kind of cookie cutter, you know, idea of who she wants the character to be. She did a really good job with it. And you do feel for Draco. You absolutely feel for Draco. And you absolutely feel for Charlie because apparently he almost got some young girl pregnant in the (laughs) treehouse. You were crying at that? No, <laughs> I was cringing at that. I love the I, I love the fact that you know his face drops. He's like, it has holes in it, Charlie. I know. <laughs> yeah, he was in the doghouse. Literally, apparently. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it. That's what this chapter left me with. Just you know, the, the just the emotionally gutting moments between these characters, with also the realization that you know Draco can be a good guy, and there will still be. You know, like after the end toss, it will still be awful things that are going to happen. And kind of like in Curse of the Damned, we get to go to a respite. We get to go to Andromeda the Black's, um, you know, house, you know, out in Spain. And it's kind of like, uh, like I said, something that we've seen from Melinda before. And I like the fact that Draco goes too. And I like the fact that, you know, it, it, at first it reminds me of like, you know, Grimmel Place meets the Golden Girls, just wicker everywhere. But, you know, I. I love that, and you know, come with me to my spin class if you want. And just, it's just, it's just like a completely different life for these kids. They get to, you know, wear bathing suits, and they get to go to the beach, and they don't have to worry about getting, you know, attacked on the way back. And it's just, I just, I, I really think that is just such a. It's like if, if this were a movie, it would be like almost like visual whiplash to go from, you know, the earlier chapters of this fic to, you know, when they couldn't even leave Grimmel place because they were going to be hunted by Umbridge to being able to take like a picnic lunch and go down by the water. I just think it's such a positive way for her to, to, to wrap these, um, these characters up. I have some stuff to say about that, but does anyone want to jump into that part of the story when they're in Spain? What did y'all think about, uh, Andromeda opening up her door to Andromeda? Draco. On, sorry, how do you say it? Andromeda. Andromeda. <laughs> sorry. Well, I guess I've always read Andromeda, but, but yeah. and whatever. Um, what did y'all think about her opening her house to not only Draco, but all of them? All of them, I could see because of Tonks. I could see that being something that she would easily do because these are people that, are, you know, her daughter died for, but that she, 
you know, obviously cared for very much. Draco, you can tell she knows he's a pain in the ass, but she's her pain in the ass and she feels responsibility for them. But I love the little moments where they make sure that his bedroom has less furniture in it than the trios and Ginny's. I, I, I like that. And, the, and, you know, she makes fun of the fact that, you know, he was there before, you know, when he was in his nappies and she knows to embarrass Draco and at the same time earns Ron's eternal respect. So I, 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 yeah. I thought, I thought that was a pretty cool moment. I, I guess I just thought the whole, the whole, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I liked that they went to this vacation house and I liked reading and, and f- having Harry heal and that kind of thing. But I, it just seemed like the fairy godmother swooned down from the clouds and said, here you go. Here's my mansion cottage. Come stay with me. And I, I, I think I felt it. It was just a little out of place with the story. I th- like they. Yeah. You, I don't know. Like I knew the borough was messed up, but like, where is everybody else staying? True. I mean, and like, I don't know. I just felt like with all that, it's good that they got away, but I don't see Harry and them just taking off when there's so much stuff to do with with no one really insisting. It's like they went because they wanted to go, not because they were being persuaded to go. And I feel that Harry's character is one in that. He he has to stay and take care of things. He has to be in charge and in control, and and he has to be constantly persuaded to go and take time for himself. Now, see, and, I don't think that's the case with this Harry. This is a different Harry that I read. Well, yeah, that's this was a Harry who was so looking forward to getting time with his friends and with Ginny after being Voldemort that he re- like after defeating those Horcruxes, that was his only job. His job was to take down the big cheese, not rebuild the wizarding world. And, you know, unlike after the end, Harry, who still felt obligated to help with the Dementors after defeating the Dark Lord, this Harry doesn't have that same obligation because, one, he doesn't know the very specific problems that need help with and say, oh, I can do that. But, two, he's also like, hey, I've got this gorgeous redhead who, you know... Is going to be in a bathing suit. Ginny in a bathing suit. Wreck of a wizard world. Yeah. Yeah, Harry and got a leather and after the end begging him to come back, you know, and help. Specifically requesting. Right. Otherwise, he was going to do what he wanted. Right. Plus, he's, like, injured. He can't move his arm. And like you said, he hasn't gotten any in 17 years. Ginny has a black bathing suit. And there's a beach involved. And here's the, I mean, does it feel completely, completely, completely natural? No. I mean, you know, we didn't hear about Andromeda Black, to my knowledge, until right before she sent the invitation. You know, isn't it convenient that, well, not really, because Draco's related there anyway. But, you know, that part kind of fits. You know, we need to evacuate Harry somewhere safe. Yeah, kind of fits. But you know that this is something where Melinda says, look, I've been torturing these kids for so many chapters. You know, I, I need this for them. Plus, here's the thing. Harry is not Jack Bauer. He gets a day off. I'm sorry. You know, he just went on a Horcrux hunt for a year. I mean, he gets a day off with Ginny. I mean, you can't dispute that. And well, no, he's had days off up to this that's point. That's true. Although after the final battle, where he, you know, was badly, badly injured. I mean, yeah, you get to, well. No, even look back at it. His days off comprised of you know staying in a lockdown house, being unconscious. You know, he he got a couple dates in here and there, but think of how we live our lives. Jen and I were stuck in traffic for a combined hour and a half, and we thought the world was ending. <laughs> he got a whole week in the room of requirement at the beach. Fair enough, but he thought he was going to die moments later. 
Okay, well, fine. We'll give the big baby yeah. a vacation. All right, we'll give him a vacation. Yeah. He, yeah. There's a guy on the other side of the door who wants to kill you. Try and relax while you're in here. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I have to laugh. Melinda mentioned in her author's notes that she really enjoyed the um, some of the Britishisms in the story. I loved... Um, what, what did she call the bathing suits? The, the swimming... Were they swimming suits? Or there was a swimming, swimming costumes. Swimming costumes. I love that. Like there were certain lines of dialogue that actually took me out of the story. That one did, but I know that was planned. Um, the other one that made me laugh so hard was when Harry and Ginny are down by the water and they decide both at the same time that we're going to have sex later. I love the fact that Ginny says, "Harry, will you come to my room when we retire for the evening?" Anyone mm-hmm. who says when we retire for the evening had best be wearing a smoking jacket. <laughs> Who talks right. like that? Like when we retire for the evening, like people don't say that. Well, there it's a little old-fashioned in Hogwarts. I'm thinking Melinda put that in because there was a specific reason. Because I can't picture Melinda using that terminology in her own life. I'm, I'm interested. We'll ask her that later tonight. But I was interested in um in, in the use of the word retire. But look, I mean. And here's the thing. Melinda, you know, tends to not put sex into her story. She tends to see that as kind of crossing a line you don't cross. She adds it in here because, number one, it felt natural. Number two, it's written for adults. And number three, Harry and Ginny earned it because they literally have the emotional and, you know, responsibility, you know, oriented, you know, personalities of 38-year-olds. And... You know, it's something that they could handle in their relationship. You know, I, I, I really wish she was here right now to talk about it, but I think she would agree that that in this story, sex was handled very appropriately. It wasn't something yes. wonderful. It wasn't something that they were skipping down the street, you know, the next day, you know, singing Kumbaya. I mean, this is something where, you know, Ginny didn't have a good time the first time she had it, you know, the Harry, you know, experienced. And, you know, Harry it's had It's very real. Yeah, it's very real. I love the morning after. Harry leaves because, you know, Ron has strangled him for, for worse things. <laughs> and I love it. He sneaks into Ron's room because I, I just, I love the hypocrisy in the story. Ron will kill me if he finds out I slept in Ginny's room. I'm going to go get the book on sex in Ron's room. He's not in there. He's sleeping with Hermione, but whatever. So Yeah, I just didn't, I, 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 as much as I thought it was real, I hated that he was leaving Jenny there. Like, I, uh, I don't know. Well, here, I, I, I see, I liked it just because the way they justified it, yeah, yeah. that seemed very real. To oh, me. that's the fact that Ginny seemed upset, and that we didn't see her being upset. We just saw her from Harry's perspective saying being she was insecure. Upset. That was extremely real, and y- y- you know what? Here's the thing: Harry thinks that Ginny didn't have a good time her, you know, her first time because he did something wrong. So he's going to go and read a book on sex <laughs> to improve, like that. Harry has never, like Melinda writes uh, Mac in uh, one of the early chapters of uh, Power of Emotion. Uh, there's a Christmas party at um, Grimmel Place, and Ginny's wearing a T-shirt that you can see some of her um, her belly underneath it because it doesn't go all the way to her jeans. And J- and Harry reacts, you know, her T-shirt must be too small. He doesn't get it's a style choice to show off, you know, her her six pack. And she even writes into the um, into the author's notes that you know sometimes she writes Harry from the perspective of her son, how he as a young child sees the world. So yeah, I mean Harry, oh, yeah, you know, I gotta get out of here before Ron gets in. He doesn't stop to think she's gonna wake up and think I, you know, I I don't want to be with her. So I, that's very realistic for Harry's character. You know, stop a dark lord, check. You know, figure out where all the horcruxes are, check. Figure out women. <laughs> now see, yeah. I guess what I realized reading this is that the dialogue is connected to the actions because had 
they used the language, you know, retire for the evening. That meant they had the emotional maturity to do what they did. Had they used the dialogue, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hubba, hubba, Mm -hmm. then they probably weren't ready. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I could not see. I could not see them actually um, uh, um, using using that line. Um, the use of the word bling bling would also have been inappropriate. Um, <laughs> so, th- yeah, so that's where the, the, the chapter leaves us off. They're going to do this many, many more times, and they're going to have a blast doing it. And th- th- Practice th- makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. And I love the fact that Harry is, like, overflowing with excitement, no pun intended. You know, he's <laughs> there's just, he is just so excited about... The fact that they get to have that life together. I just thought that was just a very powerful moment. And yes. the, the last part of the chapter I do really love is he invites Draco down to the beach with them. And Draco is off, you know, writing to his solicitors. solicitors. And yeah, he, he Draco's got some tough times ahead and Harry just invites him. And when you look back at what happened at St. Mungo's, you've got Draco who's feeling sorry for himself. And he sees that Harry is doing the mercy visit. And now he's saying, look, I'm inviting you to come with us. He knows that Harry will have a great time without him there. He knows that, you know, Harry is loved by his relatives and, you know, Harry isn't getting anything from this. So I think it occurs to him, maybe Harry's for real. And here, and because of the plot in this story, and this is what I was talking about before that Melinda did very well, because of the plot of this story, Harry you know, allowed Draco into his head to see his childhood, to see what he went through this past year. Draco's got to at least respect that on some level, and he does. And I like the fact that just from that one moment, even though Draco shuts the door and says, I may be down later, they're talking like real people. If they had 1,500 years in front of them, they might become very good friends by the end of it. But there's that, like Max said before, y- y- you feel for Draco, even though you really don't want to, or at least, you know, everyone but Jen doesn't want to. You know, but... You you do feel something for Draco as you get there, and, and I think that's very important. And this is so stupid. But the one thing that I really liked about this chapter was that Harry landed on his feet. Then <laughs> he got back to the burrow. <laughs> I know that sounds so stupid, but I cheered. <laughs> well, that's good, Jen. You cried so much tonight. It's good that you finally got something to cheer I'm... about. The end. <laughs> M- Melinda wrote me the other day to say, "I know you haven't gone to the last chapter yet." But I really thought Scar was going to be the last word when I wrote it. So please don't mark me off for that on the podcast. Because, <laughs> of course, now we found out that Scar is no longer the last word of... Um, it's uh, not? Of, of death. No, it's no longer the last word of Deathly oh, Hallows. No. But Mal- I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't know that. Well, you're going to read the last cha- page first anyway, so you'll know what it says. But oh, I love... Shut up. <laughs> I did think that was a great moment, though, that when they get back and, you know, Molly hugs everyone and they're so tanned and, you know, life at the borough has returned to normal. I love the thought. Harry, the boy who lived, the kid who's more different than anyone else, is now one of many. He, there's nothing that that makes him set aside. He doesn't have this, you know, evil presence in his body. There's nothing that separates him from from anybody else else, except the fact that they all have scars and they all have scars well hermione has different hair hermione has different hair but you know they 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 all have you know some version of a scar not because it just worked out that way but because they all chose to because instead of you know making you know they all chose to be like harry they all chose like choice is big here. They all made that choice to make him one of many and not someone who stands out like a sore thumb. And I just thought that was 
a really great way to focus the theme of the story that, you know, our choices define who we are and it takes a very powerful person, not, you know, in what they can do with magic, but just a very powerful person based on who they are that could inspire like that clan to, to, to bridge the gap and, and, and make him, you know, one of them and to form like almost like a hybrid. They'll never be like they were before. And I just thought that was such a, I'm explain, explain this very poorly, but I just really loved the way that she ended the story, you know, at the borough there. I just thought that was just such a great way that, you know, well, it has to end there. It has to end at the borough. Do you think Deathly Hallows you know, will end at the borough? Yes. I don't know. I yes. hope either that or at Hogwarts. Okay. It's got to be where Harry considers home. Or it could be at Harry's grave. Oh. When he dies in a hundred years. Where they no. Come <laughs> it's not going to happen. Seriously, I'll die. Not Prepare really. yourself. Very it close. Could. Yes, I can see it now. They all stand over him. Harry's grave. Ron trips, falls down, gets a scar. The end. <laughs> uh, and then Hermione says, Ron, you have a bit of dirt just there. <sighs> Moving on to the epilogue. Epilogue. I love the epilogue. I just want to say has a baby boy. I want to say this about the epilogue. Then I'm going to turn it over to you guys because I've been yakking way too much tonight. There's an epilogue in this story. There's an epilogue in Curse of the Damned. There will be an epilogue in Deathly Hallows. Here's why I think this epilogue is better than the epilogue at Curse of the Damned. And I talked to Melinda about this, and she actually felt the other way. You know, like we said before, we don't care as much, or at least I don't care as much about OCs, about other characters, unless you know they're 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 someone that we're that, that will become a main character that we're really going to care about. You know. Okay, Harry and Ginny married, and they had 50 million babies. And here's four of their names. And Ron and Hermione married and had 60 million babies. And here's seven of their names. And Percy, you know, married someone and had a baby who had big glasses and liked to read. And, you know, Fred and George had babies. And they married, you know, their girlfriends. And, you know, the the babies were practical jokesters. You know, that's great, but it doesn't really show me anything. And the hardest part, the reason I really don't like epilogues is I don't like the fact that, you know, I've been living with Harry and Ginny and all these characters for 33 chapters, and now all of a sudden I missed a lot. I missed, like, years of their lives, and they feel like different characters to me, so I'm not emotionally invested in them, and I am even mm-hmm. less emotionally invested in the new characters they introduced to me, who, you know, I, at that point, really don't care about. One of the best um, plot lines I've read before was a seventh year thick, kind of like this one that ends. And then one starts right after it where Harry and Ginny go to buy a house and they start their family and actually tells that story of them in eighth year starting so, those lives. So you wanted to be there for the conception? I think Jen wanted to be there for the conception. Mm. See? But no, I mean, I wanted to see the story of them. Like, yeah, you like, know, though, in, in, I'm sorry, but in this fic, I'm actually glad that they don't really talk about sex. I'm glad that they like it happens, and then they talk about it after the fact. Oh, I was like, wondering about that. I was wondering about that because um, it does start with you know Harry waking up the next morning, and you know Ginny's cuddled up against him, and I was just remembering you from after the end, screaming, "What did Ron and Hermione do? What did but they do?" The difference in ha- in the difference though is in after the end, they give you hints of this and that, and in this one, it's very glossed over. Yeah, and so in context, this it felt right that we didn't see what happened and I was okay with it because this now, was see, very much I, I felt just, G-rated in some parts I just like them having babies I love that he has a little boy 
Like, I think in so many states, like, he, he always has, like, 8,000 kids all of a sudden. And I really liked that he just had the one boy. And, like, the, the things that she put in it, like, he, he would go outside and take a walk, right? Mm-hmm. And to escape all the female chatter and blah, blah, blah. But the second he goes out, like, all he cares, it's like the world revolves around this it revolves around this kid at the moment and like he's finally at peace and like so he gets out there and like jenny comes and takes the the baby every time he goes some you know yeah and i was just like leave him with the baby well that's what's great about this that's what's great about this you know because we focus on one baby and yeah you know the, the baby's cute babies are always cute but we get to see we get to learn about harry we get to learn that he could you know magic his glasses to stay in his head but why you know take away the baby's game we get to see how you know hermione and ron you know don't get married for years because you know hermione didn't want to be accused of being his part you know part of the fad like that's great character stuff that means so much more to me than they all got married and had 50 million babies. Okay. The end, whatever. But that was such a great, you know, character moment. And, you know, we do get to find out, you know, some of the other characters married off some traditional ships, some new ones, uh, Lavender and Seamus didn't get married. So something happened there, but, um, yeah, the focus is, you know, James, Harry Potter, you know, it's the reverse. And, like, you know, Dumbledore and everyone told Harry and Remus told Harry, you know, live your life, be happy. He gets the life that he never had and is able to give it to his son. And that's just an amazing, you know, just thought. And I just, I'm so just impressed with the epilogue because it's just, it, it, it's so powerful. And the, and I, I do love, you know, one moment, which I, I know Melinda, you know, was considering writing a one shot for, I really hope she does. Ron continues to visit Snape to give him all the good news about Harry. <laughs> to be vindictive. I asked her, will you ever write one shots or will you ever continue the story? She said she wanted to write a one shot about Ron going to Snape to tell him that another James Potter has been born. <laughs> I mean, oh. And I love that they invited yeah. Snape to the wedding. I love that Ron invited Snape to his wedding. I just thought that was... Uh, it's how far these characters have come and how much they turn bitter rivalries into things to joke about. I just, I can't say enough about this epilogue. It's just such, you know, a great moment. And Hermione's wigging out about everything. And, you know, Ginny's the one to finally calm her down. It just, from all the different characters, all the different perspectives, it's just, we get to find out that everything works out okay in the end and that's where the fic leaves me aside from the last paragraph it leaves us at this just tremendously high point where everything's okay you know all the people that have died are looking out for harry and they're happy and harry gets to give his son the life he never got to have and it just it gives you hope like i was talking to you know um some people the other day about if for anyone Phil, get ready to take a shot. Battlestar Galactica. It's a very dark show. And there's one character on the show, the character of Laura Roslin, who gives me hope because she teaches that you never know what's going to happen the next day. You know, you get cancer and, you know, you find out you're going to die, but you never know what's going to happen tomorrow because tomorrow may bring new hope. You know, Harry, you know, no one ever would have guessed he would have lived this long and he gets to prosper when everyone else, you know, who meant him harm doesn't. It was said that Harry, up to his very wedding day, thought something was going to happen to snatch it away. Yeah. 
Like even until they actually said I do, he thought it would all be snatched away still. So even though he is getting the light that he deserves, that part of him will probably always be a part of him. That looking over the shoulder, thinking that it's all too good to be true, will always be a part of his life no matter how good things get. Yeah, it's the scars that they all carry with them. You know, they may be scars in their arms or Hermione's hair, but they all get... To, to carry some of the past with them, and they'll know. That's the thing. You you never. It's what you know. We you know saw during the, the story about Chamberlain and Umbridge and, and and the mass of people who were sheep and then who stood up for themselves. Don't forget what happened, or it will happen again. What do you think of Draco getting invited to the wedding? I actually liked it. Um, you know, I like Redemption Draco, and I like that they aren't friends. But I really thought it was really nice how she put in there how um, they aren't friends, but whenever they run into each other, they'll have a beer. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, I mean, I've got acquaintance friends like that. You, you know, you, ran, you run into them somewhere and you decide, let's go eat or, you know, and you visit, you catch up and you say goodbye and, you know, another five years pass. Yeah. But um, I just thought it was really nice. And it, I don't know. I, I kind of wish that we could have seen the wedding and seen them show up and... I, I thought it funny that he was still dating a Slytherin girl. You know, he's not changed. Yeah. But he's he's had to mature a little. Yeah, and it, it she definitely humanizes Draco, and she gives him someone to love and people to care about. And she does. There's Dracos that are written that will never understand Harry, no matter how much evidence they have. They could see the, the cupboard, and they could see Privet Drive, and they could see him fighting Voldemort. They still wouldn't care. Draco has those points during the story where Melinda puts, you know, in the dialogue, even Draco had to keep his mouth shut, or even Draco had to be impressed, or even Draco had to say, good luck. You know, and there's the line in there, you know, no one could go through what Harry and Draco went through and not be bonded on some level. And even Ron had to put this animosity towards Draco Malfoy aside at some point. And I just think that was a very hopeful way to end Draco's character arc. He's a pain in the ass. You'll have a beer with him once, like you said, every few years when you see him. You're not friends. You don't like him very much. But you understand him. And I think if we all understood each other a little bit better, we wouldn't have half the problems we have in this world. So, And speaking of problems in the world... It, the epilogue ends with the newspaper article yes. about a mysterious death in Surrey. Yes. I like that they don't notice it. That, that that we, the reader, notice it, but the characters don't actually read it. It's like the Twilight Zone episode where <laughs> the characters think everything's great. And they don't see you know the guy looking around behind the street corner that really shifts the mood of it. Yeah, and you have this very beautiful... Yeah. It's like this very beautiful four-chapter you know, finale to a story. And it ends on such a high note of Harry and Ron walking down the street and they're punching each other in the gut, you know, you know, and they're just being guys, and they're just being friends, and they miss the fact that Harry's cousin is on his way to being the next Dark Lord, the Chosen One himself, you know, has killed hey, his parents. Hey, but Harry gets to kill Dudley. I look forward to that. I asked, well, <laughs> I think we should, anyone listening to this, you know, email um, com if you would like to have a sequel written to the Seventh Horcrux, and we'll forward our replies to Melinda. <laughs> yes, yes. They did Spell Surrey wrong though. Oh, they did S U R R E Y. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for noticing, Mac. I do what I can. That's very good. Okay. Mac is oh, Mac is for hire as a beta. Email your stuff. <laughs> Mac weekly dot com. I want to that hear. <laughs> I want to hear some of this uh, fan mail stuff if we're finished. 
Well, I believe Mac will have some fan mail for us at the end of tonight's episode. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we get out of here, guys, and we'll go over to our interview with uh, Melinda. So we'll see you all in about six seconds. Mm-hmm. There's something missing here. What is it? Oh, there it is. And we're back with Melinda. Mac's still here. Jen's still here. And we have Lady Chi back with us. I know it seems like she just went to the movie, but a little bit of time has passed here. And you're never going to believe this. She is on Vicodin at the moment. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Chi, how you feeling? Um, you know what? I'm feeling pretty groovy. <laughs> <laughs> I really think Perfect Weekly is violating several drug laws by being released every week. I really have to think of that. Like, the percentage of our hosts who are high during the recording is probably criminal. Oh, I think Vicodin should be your mascot. There should always be something <laughs> in each episode. Well, I will be cheese. Um, you know, I know, I'm sure Ryan and Chi both did it for me somewhat to uh, when I got terribly. Um, I can't think of a word that's not too derogatory. Um I don't know, drunk, but um, <laughs> they stepped in and uh, were very nice. So, Chi, if you start being ridiculous, I will let you know. Oh, thank you, sweetie. That makes me feel so much better. Chi and I, I had a be- council going. We actually were watching Jen, and every time we thought she was too bad, we were I was actually going to disable her account in her forum <laughs> to prevent her from posting anything embarrassing or humiliating. I probably would have kept on podcasting. <laughs> Like, we were what? going so behind you, it. deleting posts. It was really funny. Oh, <laughs> so that to me. I sent a call oh, out to all the mods. If Jen starts talking about her sex life, booter. <laughs> and I think I did. It's terrible. Oh, man. No, I think that you reserved that for private conversations, I think. I'm just really looking forward to being able to feel my bottom left lip. Because right now... Can we explain now. why she just said that? <laughs> <laughs> she was in a bar fight today. No, just kidding. She had her wisdom teeth, uh, what, like half an hour ago? What was it? Um, what is it? What time is it now? Is it, it 10.30? It's 10.30 your time. Okay, I can't do math. So somebody tell me, 10.30, uh, one, I got him out at 1.30, 1.45. It's nine, nine hours. Yeah, nine hours, nine hours ago. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think I drilled on myself for, like, four days. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people have a really hard time with it, but for some reason, I don't know if it's just because I've been sick so much this year, and I've had to be on a lot of really heavy pain medication and anesthesia, but it just really doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> I, ate with a, I ate in front of a mirror, because literally, I would, like, get nowhere near my mouth, <laughs> And I kept waiting. Why aren't I t- tasting anything? And I I'd look down. I'd be all over my chest. <laughs> I swear to God. My Melinda, Lord, how you like, doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I don't know if they've done it to cheat. Cheat when I got them done. They had like um this like ice pack that like tied at the top of my head. It went under my chin. So like literally, I looked like one of those broken jobs. <laughs> mine were imp- I think the word is impacted. Like I had yes. all of mine done at the same time. And, yeah. like, literally, I was, like, a chipmunk, and they had this, like, big ice thing. And so I had that on, and I was, like, trying to eat malt, and, like, it was very sad. Do you want to hear <laughs> Do you want to hear the story of how they did it? Would you, would you like to hear the story? My awful experience at this stupid orthopedic, not, is it orthopedic? No, that's a... Orthodontist. <laughs> orthodontist. Do the, does the braces doctor do it? I thought it was a different... Uh, no, it's... Nope. He, he's a... He's an ortho surgeon. <laughs> ortho P. 
Pedition. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay. Ten so house anyway. points to whoever can guess who's on Vicodin at the most. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so anyway, I went to the to the ortho surgeon's office and I signed in, and the lady at the desk says. Do you have a letter of, it's not recommendation, it's when you get one from the doctor to give to the other doctor. It starts with an R. Referral. Re- referral. <laughs> and she's an author, folks. An author. I'm, obviously, I'm not, doing any, I'm not doing any beta reading right now. Let's just put it that way. And um, so anyway, she goes, do you have a letter of referral? And my mom was in an awful mood this morning, and she goes, we don't have to have a letter of I'm sorry, Chi. I had to do it. Yeah, we're here for Melinda. Hi, Melinda. <laughs> Hi. Who? <laughs> I love you, sweetie. <laughs> I really do. I love everybody right now. Brian, <laughs> yes, you, you need to edit that out because I know that sounded ridiculous, but it came from my heart. And you're going to make <laughs> so, And I can't share it with people? <laughs> Oh, gee, dear. Okay. Let's move on with the podcast. Let's move on with... with. I want to get to the interview because I know I've got some questions. In really? Depth questions. Really? All Is right. it that surprising? All right. No. Okay. I just... It, you're, you're always the one that's like, okay, now let's get down to business. Where are the bathrooms? Like, that's like your... <laughs> well, you know, I have a few. I actually have a first question for Melinda I just want to fire off because it might clear up some of the ones we had before. So, Melinda, you've listened to just about every episode we've released so far. Uh, you haven't listened to the first half of this episode where, you know, Jem was unfortunately, you know, crying hysterically throughout uh, most of the end of the seventh Horcrux. I don't know why he finds this so humorous. It, it, I, th- I think it was just the shock value. It was, it was, Corey oh, yeah, that well. was it. I'm sure. What, what, have, you, what have you thought? So far, has there been anything that you've listened to that you were just, like, trying to reach through the computer and, and strangle us because you disagreed so much? Or was there anything that surprised you? Just what, what's Do you been regret the... it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot. As you listen, you want to answer back a lot of the times, like, some of the stuff that you'll say or that you're questioning and, or, or, or getting, you know, right or wrong even. You, you know, I, I found myself wanting to, to answer back a lot, yes. Has there been anything in particular you'd love to set us straight on or anything that you wish um, you was there anything, was there anything big because I know what it feels like because when I was the, the episode I missed when I was editing the episode you know Jen and she weren't getting a point that I wish I was there to raise and I actually had to like insert myself into the episode just to take care of it so I can definitely understand that is that about the blaze thing uh, it was blaze and it was the boat Oh yes, the boats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were fixated on the boat. I don't know why. It's like, how hard is it to figure out the boat turned over and they're hanging onto the top of it? I think well, you guys get fixated on the funniest things. <laughs> <laughs> Do well, I I'm think so sorry, Melinda. I think that perhaps if Jen had put down her wine and I had put down my tequila and we had tried to read it sober, we might have come away with a different impression. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I had a strong bow a couple before that episode. So, you know, yeah. what can I say? But, well, I hope you didn't think of that we were knocking it. I'd love that chapter. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. The, 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 the one this morning. I'm trying to, to, I'm tired now. I'm trying to remember some of the things that I wanted this morning was the one that I listened to was the one that just came out yesterday. Right. 
And I know the the photo was in my mind. Does the, fo- the photo in the, the, the photograph you know, of you know Molly wanting to take Ginny's picture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was getting yeah. out of the hospital. And I remember I, I can't remember who said something about the the ordinariness of it of her wanting to take the photo. But I was thinking that you know Molly, from her perspective as a mom, you know she, she wanted to take these pictures because you don't know. This might be the last chance you actually have all your family here. And I would think after losing Percy, especially, that you'd, you'd want that. And also, the, the trans, the, I was referring to the, the first photo back in the Order of the Phoenix where they had took that photo. So, so that kind of stuff must have happened. Yeah, I think, right. it's, I think it's when we see you know, something like that, we always associate so much with the character that you, you want Ginny and Harry to have that moment together as they get out of the infirmary and things are going to be okay with them. And, you know, Molly's pestering them to take pictures and, and you as the reader are like, oh, leave them alone. Let them get out of there. Let them do their own thing. So it's, but if you stop and put yourself through Molly, like if you wrote that scene from Molly's perspective, you know, the, the, the picture could have mattered, you know, the most and then you would have gone that. So it's kind of what perspective the reader feels like they're in as they go through it maybe. I tend to see see through Molly's eyes a lot too and I, I don't know if it's probably just because I've got kids but I, I definitely I can relate to Molly I sympathize a lot with Molly and um, one of my major questions I guess was um, just from another fellow author's point of view is how much of your main characters do you think how much of Melinda ends up like especially in Jenny I ended I found myself strangely curious about Jenny a lot of times because she seemed you seemed empathetic to her a lot so I was wondering how much of her experiences were your experiences like in dealing with her mother and you know that kind of thing some of it some of it definitely is some of it is more like Ginny, I think, is much more outspoken than I am. Like a lot of the time, I'll think little snarky comments in my head, but I won't say them out loud. But Ginny's the type of character that can actually come out and say them. So there is a bit of that that in there, I think. And the bathing suit, um, you know, the hiding the bathing suit from the mother. Uh, to me, I think, I mean, I know I did a similar thing to my mother, but I think every teenage girl has done something like that. In terms of the relationships the characters had, did you find yourself in writing Hermione and Ron or Harry and Ginny or any of the relationships that took place in the fic, any of your own relationship experiences in their relationships? Um, <laughs> a, a couple of the lines that were used by different characters, yeah, I've, I've, are lines that my husband has said. <laughs> 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 um, but, but not... Uh. <laughs> I'm trying to jump in here with a question to save you, Melinda. I got your back. Because <laughs> we've had this conversation already. I got your back. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because I know Mac hasn't read uh, Power of Emotion yet, and we're going to make him do it. We're going to like tie him down and put it in front of him. But, um, yes, you'll love it. Let me ask you this. One of the things I talked about in the first episode that we uh, did on the Seventh Horcrux is you really had you, you know your hands tied on this one. You you know, Order of the Phoenix breaks at a really good point in the story where you get some clues about what's going to happen next, but it's very open ended. Like anyone who read Order of the Phoenix could never have guessed Horcruxes, could never have guessed a lot of the plot elements that went into Half Blood Prince, whereas now going from Half-Blood Prince into Deathly Hallows next week, we know pretty much what we're going to get. Like, as an author, how much did that, like, handicap you? Were there any particular places where you wanted to go in different directions but couldn't because you had to stay true to what Half-Blood Prince? Not so much 
from Half Blood Prince, there were certain things that that had to be done. There was kind of a path that you had to follow. Mm-hmm. So the way I started it was to write. All right, all the things I know I have to fit in there, and how can they? How can I make those things work with the story that I wanted to tell? My trouble was more with wanting to be to do things differently than I did the first time. Yeah. Um, like I remember the first episode of this one, you had commented about not spending enough time really getting into the abuse at the Dursleys, which, you know, is a big pressure point with me. But I felt like I already had done that in the other fic, and I so I really didn't want to go there again. Plus, I think Half-Blood Prince Harry was different from Order of the Phoenix Harry. You know, he was he, he was he came out a lot more resilient than I expected him to. Yeah, and going through it, I think that you balanced it very well between... You know, there are clear sections that you told a very similar story over, you know, the Power of Emotion series and in the Seventh Horcrux. But yeah, I think you know, Aberforth Dumbledore was about as pretty much as opposite as you could get. Yes, I tried very hard, and that came a lot from it, most most of the reviews I got on Aberforth from from Curse. They liked him. Yeah. But there were a couple people that said, "No, this isn't what Aberforth's supposed to be crotchety and grumpy." And so I said, "All right, I've got to make him different. So let let's try it that way this time." What was your favorite relationship to write? Like, what did you what did you enjoy writing the most? Which Harry which, and Jenny. Harry and Jenny is there any particular yeah. reason? Um, because I I want him to have something like that. I want him to be happy, and I want him to have someone that's just his. Um, a lot of the fix from earlier when he was younger go with a, a, a surrogate father or a mentor type of route. But at, at this point, you know, Harry's just about 18 by the end here. He, he's not looking for that anymore. And I think his friendship with Ron and Hermione is definitely there and very important to him. But I think as everybody grows older, you end up, you know, moving on to, to find just your mate or whatever. And so, so, yes, I do want that for Harry. And I liked writing about the two of them. I want to ask a question that kind of pertains to the podcast. Was it hard for you to, I mean, did you find that after you had put it out there that it was harder to to be reviewed in that way? Do you know what I mean? Did it make you more sensitive towards reviews or did you just really laugh and have a good time with it like we did? Do you know what I mean? The, the podcast, it's harder actually to listen to the podcasts. Really? Um, to go you know, every little detail. Yeah, I, I found it harder than I expected it to be. Yeah, because that, well, that, I, I guess that does make sense because if someone leaves a review, they're going to say this point, this point, this point, this point, you know, we're good, maybe this point didn't like so much, but whatever, and then you kind of move on. Whereas we, you know, how many episodes? We did seven episodes, you know, three hours an episode, we talked for like a full day about the seventh Horcrux. <laughs> I mean, if, it's really, yeah. if you stop to think about it, and one of the things... I think I personally do as a reviewer is I try and, you know, get into the heart of something and say, this is what I think worked well and this is what I think didn't. And what's unfortunate with that is, you know, I could have two different stories. You know, I could have like a one shot that, you know, a seven year old wrote and I could have, you know, this fic and I'm going to find, you know, I, I could sit down and find fault with both of them, but you're obviously grading one in a much harder scale. So I feel like even though, like I loved the fic I was listening yeah but this you know I may not have liked and maybe you know this scene was a little bit off but you know in comparison I think it's one of the best fics I've ever read if that makes any sense so it's it's interesting from just the reviewer's perspective that you know it seems like you're being harsh when really you could love it so it's I just well, want to we, make- we only podcast fics that we really love 
or will well <laughs> I'm trying to think of a year like none other because not everyone has even read that fic so I can't really say that but so yeah. far so far we only podcast fix that we can tell that we respect well <laughs> fix that we respect how's that that's a better word yeah okay yeah. sorry after having seventh core crux out there would you be willing to to do other of your like the power of emotion series sure yeah i think if i i think probably the, the people that listen though are ready for somebody new but eventually i would definitely go back and do it again oh yeah because we're okay. definitely going to go back and read it and if i'm reading it i want a podcast on it so <laughs> we'll definitely mm-hmm. be doing it again hey guys well, I'm i know gonna, it's one no, of the i mean I, i'm curious to once we get deathly hollows I, i'm very curious to see what happens to the fandom in general as a whole do you know what i mean i'm, I'm very curious of what's going to happen and what old fix we're going to want to go back and look at or maybe just want new stuff or maybe i don't know if it's just going to f- fade away, you know, I, I, I'm really curious oh, as to what will happen. I don't see that happening. I, I Honestly, I see it, it going so far. And, and fix like yours that have been around, I mean, people are going to go back to these and get the endings that they really wanted. And, you, you know, when they get to the end of the series, I truly feel that people are not going to be sick of Harry Potter by the seventh book, by any means. You know, it's not going to be an era that passes. And no, but we want to know too much, too many little things. Like, I always get a kick out of what she must think, like, of all the little tiny details that we want. You know, yeah. I'm sure a lot of like it is the stuff boat. she never even, you know, it never even crossed her mind. I mean, <laughs> I know in just writing these stories, I've gotten reviews that people say, oh, I love how you, you know, the symbolism of this. And I'll be looking at the review like, huh? Like, I'm like, oh, what is this? You know? <laughs> so... I love um it has to happen to her too. Do you know what I mean? I love it when um people overanalyze my writing. I don't know if this has happened to you at all, but um I was writing with all my love and there's a particular scene between Sirius and Regulus. Do you remember this gen gen at all? Where yeah, Sirius and Regulus are talking about purebloods and Regulus is making his argument for pure bloods and, and Sirius is making his argument for mixed bloods and, and um Muggleborns and things, and people were writing in telling me the parallels to the struggle of African Americans trying to get equality in America. And then I got something about gay men, and then there was another person who thought it was a great parallel to the struggle that people are having in Darfur right now. And I was going, What? what? <laughs> He's like, oh, you make me sound really good. You, know? <laughs> you make me sound much smarter than I really am, and I thank you. Well, that's such a that's such a microcosm too, because it's like you know all the little things. It's like you know we have Jen and she going on about the boat, and we're going on about you know va- the vampire voice for half an hour, and it's you're probably like yeah yeah. I can just imagine Melinda, but don't you like this thing I did over here? You know, on purpose because <laughs> no one. <mentioned> that. <laughs> and it's like the little things that you never thought of, and. It's just so interesting how that works out. I, I just think that's fascinating. But I'm really glad you brought up that point because we're actually going to do a podcast in a couple of weeks just on that topic. Is I really want to know what people think is going to happen because what I really believe is this fandom, this particular fandom, and there's a few others out there, there's something that separates them because I've been in a lot of different uh, you know, genres and a lot of different other fandoms, but there's none that I would want to sit down and read fan fiction in. And, you know, something is separating Harry Potter from that. And, you know, before, you know, um, I started with, you know, Harry Potter because I just read Half-Blood Prince and I needed 
to know what was going to happen so desperately. And I needed to make myself feel better because I was really angry that Harry broke up with Jenny. And you know, that's how I got into it. Once I got into it, it became more along the lines of, you know, I'm enjoying reading the stories. I enjoyed reading the Seventh Horcrux. You know, as I got into, you know, chapter 27, 20, like I sat down and, and couldn't stop reading. I had such a good time playing in that universe that when I put the book down, I want to pick up another fan fiction and I want to try and replicate the same experience. So if that's what people are going for, you know, people like me, we're never going to go away, which is a frightening thought, but you know. But you said yourself, you came in after Half-Blood Prince. I came in, I think it was, it was before Order of the Phoenix, but it was around, it was before Order of the Phoenix while we were waiting for it. So there's, there's a new book that keeps drawing new people in and, and other people fade away. Yes. Well, he, you know, I, what's interesting to me is I approached the fandom right, right before Goblet of Fire's release. And it's interesting which people stay and which people leave. I don't think that the fandom will be as wide necessarily as it always has been, but I think that it'll be as dedicated as it always has been. Yeah, like, will I still be reading fanfics when I'm 75 years old? Maybe, maybe not, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting, <laughs> but but I'm curious, like, so you said you came into the fandom after um, Goblet of Fire? Of, yeah, Goblet of Fire. What's, exactly. the fir- what's the first fanfiction you wrote? The first one I wrote? Yeah. Power of Emotion? So you sat to, and let me, because I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, just how you got to the point where you wrote this fic. Now, obviously, I don't want to spoil Power of Emotion for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of reading it, but what was it that made you say, I want to write fan fiction? Was it an idea in your head that you wanted to, you know, play with? Was it, you know, you saw the end and just wanted to, like, what? No, I, it was after Order of the Phoenix, and, and, uh, just Order of the Phoenix, the loss of Sirius, I was devastated. It just really got to me. And I was looking, fanfics at that point but I just wasn't finding what I wanted to, if that makes any sense that's I just, why we um, have this podcast I didn't I guess it really is. know what it was that I wanted but I wasn't finding what it was so I was like I used to love to write as a kid I hadn't done it for, for years and years and years and years but I said I think I can do this so I just kind of started to see if I could and it just just told itself yeah I mean that to me is just that's the reason we have this podcast because I didn't find one out there like it so I just went and made one myself so what was the prompt for the seventh horcrux was there a particular part of the storyline that really got you engaged or was it just I want to it tell was a story? The, the idea if Harry could be a horcrux or not and I originally started it to disprove it you know I'm going to show why he cannot be a horcrux and then the more I tried to disprove it the more I convinced myself that it was true <laughs> <laughs> this early, this, 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 this early drafts out there that will never see the light of day. There was a really negative backlash in the fandom. Just going back to um, a couple of years ago, I remember um, there were some people out there that started putting out forth these um, these theories that Harry was the Horcrux, um, and there was this backlash, particularly from Harry and Jenny Shippers. If I'm remembering this right, and maybe I'm not. You know, and there were a lot of people that were really kind of just that idea didn't like that just wasn't appealing to them at all. And I'm wondering if you ever got any negative um, response to Harry being a horcrux, yeah. just based on the some kind of people time. just absolutely as soon as that chapter came out refused to read it. You know, uh, nope, that's it. I'm not doing a Harry is a horcrux story. But for me, fortunately, I had built up. You know, other people had read the stories that I'd already written, so they kind of knew that I'm on. I'm on the 
Yeah. You know, Harry needs a happy end camp. Yeah. yeah. So so they, they, they stuck with me. There's so much detail in the Seventh Horcrux in regards to the novel, you know, the novels. I just wondered, did you, when you actually sat down and said, I'm going to write a seventh year fake, did you just read book six really carefully and remember everything? Or do you have, like, notebooks upon notebooks of notes like Joe Rowling does to keep I, track of everything? Because everything is so... Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually very detailed. You know, I pick up little things out of the books all the time. I do that. That that it. it I don't know why I read that way. I just do. But when I was plotting the story, I would just write down tons of little things. I want an answer to this. I want an answer to this. I want an answer to this, and then try to see all right how can I work them into this. So yeah, I've got a notebook that's that's pretty thick. And then I have a terrible habit of writing on scraps because things occur to me all the time. So it's stuffed full with all these silly little scraps that would mean nothing to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so fascinating. I I, I just, I find that so intriguing. One thing I just want to say is I like the fact that one thing you did with this story, at least for me, was you really forced me right before uh, Deathly Hallows comes out, um, you know, next week. You really made me reconsider, you know, a lot of my preconceptions. There were things I thought were, would be a lock in book seven. I completely expected them, and after reading, you know, the Seventh Horcrux, now you know I can see why that's not the case. I love the line where Ron says, "You know, it's not." I thought we were going to be sleeping in caves all year, going on <laughs> because I thought that too. I thought it would be like you know Frodo well, and the Hobbit. I mean, did every every Seventh Horcrux fix that I read had them all living in caves, and 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 so. Some of it that's in there is me trying to poke a little fun at, at some of the common um, <laughs> the, the common threads. Like another one was was Gabrielle. I know somebody pointed it out on there that there's tons of people who thought you know Harry should be with Gabrielle, but Gabrielle's eleven. Yeah, <laughs> and so I just had to put you know a little poke at fun. Yeah, that's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> but she'll be hot when she grows up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, I just have to ask you. I'm sorry. This I'm going to forget this question if I don't ask it. You didn't hook uh, lavender up with Seamus, which I just thought was interesting um, because you no, maybe it's just... you can't because she said in one of the interviews that everybody went to the Yule Ball with the wrong partner, so you can't have Shavin, Seamus and Lavender. You really do go for the little details. <laughs> I How do. do you remember I do. that? I'm so impressed. I obsess over things like that. All right, tell me this. I am your traditional Harry Potter fan. Like I, I read, I've read each of the books I think twice, and I tend to be like Ron. You know, when it comes to remembering details, you know, about as, you know, perceptive as a dump truck. <laughs> well, That's not true. Little bit. You know, tell like were there, were, were there things that you you know did not get the chance to put into the Seventh Horcrux that now okay we're all going to get Deathly Hallows in a week. What do you think I will be most surprised with? Like, what kinds of things do you think that I, as, as you know, the casual reader who misses the little details, what things will surprise me? Do you think in Deathly Hallows? I know that's kind of a weird question, but like, what you know, little details have we all just glossed over in the books that are really gonna come back? Oh, that is a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. And he thinks like Ron. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ron. Ron is. I think Ron will shine more than than anyone's given him enough credit for. Yay! Um, I love Ron. I love. I, love- you, you was, I think was it Mac that asked what relationship I like to write? If it wasn't Harry and Ginny, it would be Harry and Ron's friendship, not 
Not yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. The friendship between them. I love the friendship between them. Yeah. I like the brother piece the brother stories, the friend slash um, brother. Yeah. I think Harry's eye colors might come back in there somehow and I I, I haven't figured out what that could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that really didn't come into this story. So that's the type no. of thing I'm asking. Things maybe you didn't cover that maybe yeah, you think. The, and the one thing that, that I know I didn't do was Wormtail's debt being repaid. I had him tell Harry that he was a Horcrux, and that was kind of, you know, a quick way to have him help him. But I think it's going to be more than that. I, I didn't I didn't quite know how to work that in, so I, I skipped over that, too. I guess we pronounce her name LOL Snape. I know that she had a whole list of questions, so I feel like I need to ask a few of them. Okay, go for it. Um... They wrote, you made it seem as though upon leaving number Privet Drive, Ron and Hermione did something other than a cheering charm with remarks such as, and they'll be finding little reminders of our stays for years to come by Ron. Is this referring to the alterations they made to Harry's room or did I miss something? Um, I, I didn't write out that scene altogether, but this was, um, if you've ever been to the site called Phoenix Song, which Chi, I know obviously you have, they yeah. do an interview I with hope the character. So segment um, where you get to kind of be um, the, the the forum members can ask questions to the various characters and that was the first question when it was my turn to do it so I had to answer as Ron and Hermione what they did and just a bunch of little um, I can't even remember what it, I wrote exactly anymore but it's all in there on that thread <laughs> Oh, all right. I, I took it to be something almost like um, what you saw in After the End, where they just made little yeah, know, it was annoyances. Little things, you know, like um, the toothpaste would never go out right. Is, and, and yet now they're, never, they're never dead. Right. And, but then it was, it was, you know, things that Ron wanted to do. He wanted to make the walls in Petunia's showers be see-through so that her neighbors could always see her in the shower. But Hermione wouldn't let him do that. So, she, you know, just things like that. And speaking of you, you like I, I want to jump ahead, but Jen just mentioned it. You you killed, you know, the, you killed Vernon and Petunia mm-hmm. by Dudley's hand. Apparently, I did. That was How? setting up in case I ever decide to go back to this universe. Will you? I, I don't know. I, I want to see what happens. With, uh... I tried to track Percy. Like, well, will no. you? I'm I'm oh. curious. What experiences in the fandom make you want to keep writing as an author? What, what makes me want to keep <laughs> writing fan fiction? Yeah. Because I'm not done with Harry. I just, I, I feel like uh, getting pressure actually even from home here to try something original. But I just don't, I, I'm not ready to be done here yet. I like this. Yeah, I mean, I get that too. Like I read, like I obviously, I go to school and I work and I put together this podcast every week, which takes a lot of time. So, yes. I don't, you know, people buy me books and I, I put on a, on a shelf and I don't have time to read them now. And they say, well, you should be reading these things. And my response is, I don't want to yet. Because if I'm reading, you know, a biography on George Washington, you know, I'm not reading, you know, Aspen's fic. Or I'm not reading Melinda's fic. And that's what I want to do with, mm-hmm. at this point. So I can see that. Although, do you have any, I know you want to get into original writing. Do you have any ideas lined up for that? Or is this something that's kind of no, I, I have actually a, one that I've, I haven't started actually writing it, but I've got an outline for it. I've, I've actually broken up the chapters and what I want to do. I've got outlines written for the characters and who I want them to be. I've, I've, I've done all the setup that I've done on all my fix, but then I'm just not ready to do that. I want to go through this last few months here until this final book is out, and then we'll see if I've got my youngest is starting kindergarten in the fall. And then, then that's my goal is once once I have that little bit of time there, you know, he'll only go for half days, but I'm going to really try to get that original moving. 
do you want to like spoil anything or do we get like an indication of like an area you might know what i would if i'd actually felt confident enough that i'd started writing it yet but it's it's still (laughs) all in my head like what kind of genre is it is it more like it's a fantasy it's it's a it started with a story um my middle son is is dragon obsessed he's absolutely fascinated enthralled he's going to be a dragonologist when he grows up and uh we've got this walking trail near us where we we go all the time and and um it's got this old stone wall and i told him that it used to be a dragon reserve when they used to to keep the dragons there but um only one dragon ever escaped and so i'll show like black marks on trees and tell him it's burn marks and all this and it got to the point where he won't walk out there anymore even though he's going to be a dragonologist he's terrified of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> that's an oh. interesting conundrum <laughs> that's, so, that's it's very cute but but i was going to kind of try to take that idea and, and and run with it there you really uh, incorporate your son a lot into Harry, not that particular son, but I remember you did that in Power of Emotion where uh, Ginny has the shirt on that shows a little yes. bit of her belly. And <laughs> yeah, that was my oldest son. <laughs> yeah. I, how, much of your, how much of your own children do you see in Harry? They're definitely in there. Well, I think I see more like things that they do makes me... That, I think that's why I get so angry at the Dursleys because just, just little... Like I had a son waking up screaming, terrified the other night because of the gorillas that were loose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we live in a little town like on the beach. So I'm like, there's really no gorillas calling, you know? I don't know where that came from. He was completely obsessing about these gorillas. And I could think, you know, poor Harry, you know, who he would have probably got a backhand and shoved back in the cupboard, you know? Yeah. So, so I do. The, the, my kids, I think, make me empathize very much with Harry. Melinda, one of the uh, bits of criticism, I think, that we offered over the seven episodes was that it seemed like in the story of the seventh Horcrux, uh, you know, the action would start and then stop for a couple of months and then start and then stop for a couple of months. I was just curious, do you, did you think that was fair criticism or did you think that was, you know, just, you know, us really just too much into the analysis? No, that was fair. It, it, it did go that way. But but I also tend to think that if, if there was something really going on, it's not all action all the time there are a lot of dead ends and and i'll be very disappointed in in deathly hollows actually if if everything that they follow is 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 an actual lead and there's yeah. my second yeah. part of that is do you think that in deathly hollows they'll actually be based out of a particular place or and maybe this question was spoiled a little bit by the cover by the back the text on the back cover of uh, of deathly hollows but do you think you know, it will be, you know, they, they go out and they're sleeping in caves and they're going on a journey and they're going to be gone from, you know, the familiar whereabouts for the course of the book. Which way do you suspect it'll go? I think I think they're going to have a base. I don't know if it's going to be at Grimald Place or, or if, if they'll go back to Hogwarts for things. There may be a time when, like, I think they might go to Romania, actually. Um and I'm not sure where they'll stay. So maybe they will be in caves. But I don't think it's going to be a them living on the road kind of deal the whole time, no. What makes you... I guess Max already asked you what makes you keep coming back to fan fiction, but do you enjoy the social aspect of it as well? Or is it purely about writing for you? In the past, it's, it's, it's purely been writing only... I was never actually like this is really the first forum that I've ever gotten involved with, and it is kind of fun. 
but I also started a mailing list. Um, one of my, one of the people who read the stories and enjoyed it set up a website for me and put a mailing list on there. And, uh, and I was like, you know, okay. And now I've gotten like this group of people that, you know, we chat each day about all the kind of stuff I like to chat about. So the, the interaction with the other people who are as, as big a fan as I am, it's fun. I, I, I do enjoy that. Okay, now we have you know the Horcruxes, and obviously a big part of your plot line in this fic has been the Horcruxes, and you know is Harry or is Harry not one of them? Going into Deathly Hallows, what do you think the Horcruxes are? Are they the ones from the Seventh Horcrux, or do you have different ideas now? Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I I go back and forth on Nagini, because yeah, I do think Harry is one. Um, but I go back and forth on Nagini because I can't quite place how Nagini would fit in there. Um, but also, I like the idea that that's why Harry dreamed that he was Nagini. Um, because that's that connection that Voldemort possessed Nagini, but, but Harry's got a piece of Voldemort. So the three of them are connected in some way. And so I do like that idea very much. Okay. But I also like my tiara idea, so I I I don't know if I'm quite ready to give that up. Or not. I have a question: Where did you get the the uh, the theory behind the the ice castle? I thought that was very imaginative. Did you notice the cover, the UK cover? Yeah, what was up with that? It's on there. We were talking about that, and then the, the, <laughs> you had the the Coliseum right before that. Yeah, I, I was like, yay me! <laughs> I, I, I gotta ask you, Melinda. You know, have, have are, do you have any like illegal activities that you want to disclose to us before we continue with this interview? Um, I don't know where the ice castle came from. I just, um, I, I honestly can't remember. I don't know. Okay, no, that's fine. I just, I was that seemed very. Um, it, it seemed extremely descriptive, like you had like a specific thought in mind for that. You, well, I, once I started writing it, I think it just kind of took shape in my head, and I thought, oh, that would be kind of cool. So, so you know, you, I just kind of went with it there. I don't know. I was probably drinking. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, what were you on that day that made Maybe you? Maybe I was on Viking, and I don't yeah. know. <laughs> or, or, or the meth that Harry was on in the emergency room trying to get uh, Ginny, you know, the medicine there first. <laughs> started writing this like I told you I was I wanted to disprove the idea of Harry being a horcrux but then as I I began to accept all right let's maybe you know we'll see what canon does but let's go with the idea that it is how would we get it out of him so that was my next thing all right if he is I'm going to find a way for him to live so that's where I got the idea of the horcrux you know to get Voldemort out of him right and I know that I hadn't seen it yet because I've been looking at a lot of the the Horcrux stories that came out. So then I felt like I was was in a race to to, to finish the story before anyone else used that idea. <laughs> so no, I was I was really writing madly for 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 a while there to try to get that out first. Now, what would you if you could go back? Would you change anything in the Seventh Horcrux? You've obviously been listening to our criticism and our praise over the course of the last seven weeks. Is there anything um, that you wish? Ooh, I wish I didn't leave that in, or I wish I did this a little bit more. Or I'd like. I, I wish I had done something with Wormtail's debt. I would have done more with that. I would have the Ginny, the repeating Ginny. The, you guys had mentioned that, and as I went back and looked at it, I'm like, yeah, okay, we, we did too much with that, so I would change that. Yeah, back in the first chapter. Where the kept- last thing was the thing today. You were only the second people that have mentioned it. I only had one reviewer the whole time that had mentioned it when I realized I made a huge goof. 
um, but you mentioned it today too, was the um, Dudley's, what Dudley saw with the Dementors, it was, really should have been a Bogart, not a Dementor that, that made him see that. And that was just big, my bad. Yeah, I love that because I was, I was really ready to defend you there. And then I'm like, I don't know what to say. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and like I said, and, all the, and it was only a review that came in in this new batch of, of I, um, with all the leaked stuff. I've got this, this fic is almost like a new fic again. There's new reviews that keep coming in all the time. So it was a fairly recent one that was the first person that pointed it out. And I was like, huh. And You're I, right. And I, nobody ever caught me on that before, you know? Well, I, to be honest, I, I think it's one of those things where you, where you love the idea so much that you're like, that is brilliant. That is profound. And you don't stop to think, that couldn't possibly work in the wizarding yeah, world. It because doesn't work that way. But, but yeah, I did like that idea as, as being Dudley's fear. So, oh, well, it's in there now. I can't change it. You just actually reminded me of a, of a great point, and I wanted to ask uh, – Tell everyone the story you told me the other day when you were at the mall. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was the most amazing thing! I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I went to the mall. Um, we were going on to camping trips. It doesn't matter what I was looking for. Anyway, I went to um, uh, Newbury Comics, and my my son is having a birthday, and he's having a Harry Potter party because his birthday is July twenty first. So I was just looking at some some Harry Potter things, you know, to see what I could get for his party. And around the Harry Potter display, there was like about 14 teenagers just all standing there talking. And I wasn't really paying attention to them. I was just kind of poking around and I overheard a part of their conversation and I heard my name. And I just kind of looked Mm -hmm. up and and they were talking about the seventh Horcrux. And I was just, I stood there like the biggest idiot, just I think my mouth dropped open and I was staring at them and then... (laughs) A couple of them were looking at me like, who's this insane woman? And what is she staring, you know? I couldn't even make my mouth work. <laughs> Did I you tell them with you? No, I couldn't speak. I was, I just kept staring at them. And like, they finally moved away from me because they thought I was going to kill them or something. That would have oh, been great no. if you're like, I'm Melinda Leo. Perhaps you've heard of me. You should have, honestly. What are the odds of that? I well, I was. I would have cast out because then I kept trying to convince myself that I didn't really hear it. You know what I mean? That it was. Yeah. It it, it amazed me, so I I immediately forgot everything I was at the mall for. Drove home to tell my husband what just happened. Did they seem to like the story? (laughs) They did, all except one. One of them didn't like it, but to be honest, I wasn't sure that the other one really knew what he was talking about because he kept. It was he was a guy, and it was the girls, and they kept following him, and he kept trying to move away from him. It was kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> Here's what you do, Melinda. This is interesting. I um, the last time I went to a Harry Potter book release party for, for Half Blood Prince, um, I got recognized, and I've told this story before. Um, but I, I think you know, just kind of walk around the release party and listen to different people's conversations. And there was somebody talking about with all my love, and then like a next person over was talking about the Draco trilogy, and then there was somebody that was talking about um, one of the other fics that was really big at the time. And I was going, oh my god, these are my people in real life. <laughs> these are my people? <laughs> these are my people? Yeah, I walked... No, I... Well, I'm on drugs. Are you at like least the... she didn't say peeps. These are my peeps. Uh. <laughs> well, because, like, you know what it is? You know what it's like? It's like you... You know, intellectually, you understand there's a lot of people that read Harry Potter fan fiction, Right? 
but mm-hmm. you kind of feel like you're alone in the world sometimes because nobody in your immediate circle reads it except for like maybe half of my best friends. But you know, most people don't. Most it, it seems like you have people that meet day to day. Yeah, it means it, 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 but it seems like the people you meet day to day don't really read it, and uh, so it's just it's kind of interesting. I just I was walking around listening to everybody else talk about fan fiction, going, "This is so cool," and I I did introduce myself to the person who was talking about me. So <laughs> I'm an attention whore. Oh, that's cool. What did the person yeah. do? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was me in the beginning when we first started talking to Jenny and Arabella. I'm like, you're real people? I don't understand this. <laughs> well, if you can't live in Massachusetts, I live in Massachusetts. I don't really feel like it's like you have to wrap your mind around the fact that uh, it's so well, funny. Speaking of that, Melinda, who's your, who's your favorite fanfic author to read? I like um, Myth and Legend. Mm-hmm. Myth and Legend is very she, good. She very just... Good. She, she's she's not finishing the story that was going on that I was absolutely in love with, so I'm kind of bummed about that. But I like her very much. Ever or just for a period? Well, of time? it's on hold. She's she's getting married, so she's going through the whole wedding planning deal. So, but she'll I, one I day know. finish it, right? Does I hope she need so. a photographer? <laughs> Jen's like, we'll trade photography <laughs> services for next for chapter. Like, I mean, she was just at the 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 the, the climax. You know, it, it wasn't that much further to go. You know, just end the story. <sighs> but I don't know if she will or not. That, that tell me, yeah. I also like um, Ash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like her very much. It's a her. Yep. I think I thought it was. She's a, a mom of four kids. Oh God, it's like Blaze all over again. Oh. <laughs> And Kedme. Um Kedme and I actually we talk and we pre-beta for each other. I like her very much too. It's it's interesting to me how with some of the authors it's like almost like such a close knit group, it's, you know, maybe depending on where they post or so forth, but you know, it, it, I was talking to you about uh Swish and Flick, whose stuff I started off with and then moved on to yours, and you're like, Oh I know Swish and Flick, we were gonna get drinks a couple of years ago, but and it just it, it fascinates me how much, you know, just fan fiction has bound like one section of the Yeah of the fandom together. Wait, I actually they had the um one of the what was it, the witching hour, the Harry Potter Symposium yeah. thing they had here in Salem, and and Swish and I, Swish and Flick and I went together. We 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 met up there with uh, we were supposed to one other author, but she wasn't able to make it for some reason. I can't remember. But we went to some of the the classes that they had there. Oh wow, it was cool. That, that's- but- What's interesting, I think, is you could probably do a six degrees of separation and hit every major author in the fandom. Everybody knows everybody through everybody else. I, that's my you were to start with. Um, Arabella and Xenia, and then like go to Jedi, Jedi Bodakai, you can get to Kedme, you can get to you. I mean, like, there's like six degrees of separation between everybody. Who it's Xenia. I can't, I'm, what makes you think that with my mouth being numb like that, I can say it the right way? <laughs> no one tell her it's Jedi Bodachia either, it'll kill her. <laughs> yeah, I can type it, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just have to lodge a complaint. I can't believe you let Dolores Umbridge off so easily. Easily? You think that was easy? That for her, you could have done so much. I thought that was so easy. I was really werewolves did... ripping her apart was easy. Yeah, hmm. I really have to think you, you, you gave her a little bit of a break there. No, it was. I was waiting for Harry to walk in and do his, you know, stand up on a chair. People, people, follow me, and just completely get her thrown out on her butt. And you went the easy way and have her, you know, be torn apart. And, yeah, you know, the torn apart thing. But didn't she do all that werewolf legislation against them? And that was why Remus could did. never get a job. They deserved to. I know, but why couldn't she have lived and been a werewolf and not be able to find a job? I don't know. 
I, I just want her to suffer. I don't well, know. I kind of hope after it's all over that things get better for the werewolves, though. I think they will, too. And, you know, let me ask you this, though. You had people take the Death Eaters and drag them from their homes and kill them in the streets. I did. I really like that. Can Thank I you. you. <laughs> yeah. It was violent and brutal. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, if it's got angst, I'm all over it. But but I think in the situation where they were in, that that, that might have actually happened. Oh, I think it did, too. I really like the plot line. And I think I complained about it once and then took it back. I really like the plot line just with, with Umbridge and with, you know, like we, we called it like the Neville Chamberlain plot line. I think she said this before, too, you know, Umbridge is much scarier than Voldemort, if you think about it. Because Umbridge yeah. happens all the time. Whereas, you know, Vol- like it's easy to, you know, defend yourself against the guy with the big machine gun. It's really and hard And the people to- were letting her do it, which yeah. was, was even more scary. So I found that very meaningful at the end that the people, you know, stood up, even though they, you know, like dragged the death either from the streets and, like, you know, hung them by their toenails. I mean, the Yeah, people- mob justice. That's yeah, They eventually, they eventually, uh, <laughs> well, I think you can only suppress people for so long. Do you know what I mean? Before they just kind of... So are you making a statement about our current political system or endorsing anarchy? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or both? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. (laughs) It's another one of my symbolism things, right? That I really meant to do, that everyone keeps pointing out that I'm like, oh, I did that, huh? Yeah, Melinda's (laughs) Melinda's attack on the Bush administration. She's like, I just really hate Dolores Umbridge. I'm not really doing it. (laughs) Just so everyone knows, we're doing this podcast after the Order of the Phoenix podcast. So these poor people have been doing this for like five hours. I really want to get your uh, feedback on Chapter 30, which is the chapter where Harry... (laughs) Well, basically, I don't even need to tell you anymore because we now know what the chapter is. I can't Yeah, I know I did a similar one in Curse of the Damned, too, but but from... Even for Deathly Hollows, I want that for him so bad. I, I, I hope we yeah. get to see something like that. Yeah, and I actually have to tell you, I really enjoyed it in Seventh Horcrux so much more because in Curse of the Damned, you made it more like a choice. Does Harry want to go or stay? And I thought that was very, you know, before you walk in, you knew what he was going to do. Uh, but I really loved this opportunity because it seemed like in, in the Seventh Horcrux, you made it a chance for Harry to heal because he had to forgive himself and he needed to... You needed to make peace with what happened. Tell us the story about the the uh, the murder. <laughs> I think it was the best review I ever had. It was it was an email. It came. Um, I don't even remember where it came from, but it was a a, a marine who was stationed um, in Iraq, and he. I don't know how they get fan fiction. I mean, they must. I, I don't know. Eli, Eli always had email. He, he somehow he read the story, and, and he was commenting about this chapter, and he was saying. He said it, you know, he, he was saying, all right, I hope you're really proud of yourself because I'm a, you know, six foot three, whatever he is, Marine, and you had me blubbering like a baby, and I'm in the barracks, and I'm trying to hide it from all the rest of the guys that are in here. <laughs> my eyes out. And it was oh. just, it was very, I, I enjoyed that. But I have it saved somewhere. I know I do. Well, that's just great because, you know, that essentially, like I just said, was the healing chapter for Harry. So, for he, you know, Harry essentially has to forgive himself, you know, for killing. And you have, you know, a U.S. Marine who's in Iraq who's probably in the same situation. I mean, it's just it was such a it was such an emotional chapter because I think it just hit everybody who read it because everyone could relate to Harry at that point. And everyone, you know has lost people and wonders if, you know, they're watching them or like, you know, Mac and I were talking about last night. Are they always watching them? Is there like a tie in the doorknob kind of thing going on there? But 
uh, I mean, it, that was just during the end of the story, pretty much from you know the ministry on. I was just so enraptured, you know, in in, in the story, and that was just one of the chapters that just absolutely got me. It seems, like, and I appreciate the fact that when you write, you leave us enough time to really you know, say goodbye to the characters and deal with what happened. You know, some of the authors, you know, three paragraphs to go, the war ends, and then there's a paragraph on Reconstruction, and there's a paragraph and on... it's Hill. over. It's That's over. what, for Deathly Hollows, more than... And I love the aftermaths. I, my favorite scene in all of canon is the, the hospital wing scene after the, the third task in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. I love the aftermaths, and I hope we get a good one in this last book. Um, but But this one I was determined it's like alright if you get tired of get right to the end but I'm going to go on here for a while and just to tell you the story Melinda because you probably read about it in the, uh, in the ladies parlor on the uh, Perfect Weekly forum when I actually proposed uh, to my girlfriend a couple weeks ago she was reading Order of the Phoenix and I wrote a message at the end of the first chapter of Order of the Phoenix that said turn to the part of Harry Potter that always makes you cry and it was actually that scene in the in the oh. hospital and that's where I wrote will you marry me in the book it was the scene where Molly's hugging Harry I mean that's that's it and I love you know what you do in power of emotion with that scene and yeah I mean that's the reason I think everyone reads it because you know these it's not about the magic and it's not about you know the evil wizards or you know the patronuses or the dementors or anything like that it's it's about these people and they don't need the magic to to love each other and care about each other and be people and I, yeah, on so many levels, you got that right, and that was just such a great chapter. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of that chapter. I like that. That chapter. is the whole thing. The the re- I know a lot a lot of you commented about revealing that Harry was the Horcrux so early in the story, but that was kind of like I said, I like the aftermath best. So this was kind of my way. I thought of of making the whole thick an aftermath kind of thing because Harry had a, a dead man walking mentality for yeah, so much of it. He did. And I really felt like that changed when he reached, um, when Ginny almost died. I really thought yeah, that was Yeah, and he decided, no, this isn't going to end this way. I'm going I'm to fight to change this. You made a point of giving all the characters scars at the end to tie them together. Yeah. Is there any particular reason you chose to do that? Or, uh, you know, some reason why that idea came together? The reason came together was simply because I was trying to figure out a way to make Scar the last word of the story. <laughs> <laughs> but but then as it was going on, I, I was like, oh, I kind of like this idea. And I thought it just was kind of nice of them all to, to, to that it's never going to go away. There's always going to be something of it staring back so you don't ever let it happen again. Yeah. Yeah, and that, okay. was, and that was the message of Chamberlain, too. Don't forget what Dolores Umbridge did. Don't let her ever get away with it. Obviously, she's gone, but there'll be someone always like her, and you always have to say yeah, Evil's never going to go away, so, yeah. you know, just just keep don't let your guard down. But but improve, but but don't let it go back. What, was Charlie the father of, of his uh, friend's baby up in the tree? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm trying to think of all the rapid-fire <laughs> questions I want answered now. He could have been, but no. Jen, you had a question about Pansy, right? You kept giving me, I think, um, and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but I kept thinking that maybe Snape was good. And well, you wanted to think that, Jen. I do. I know it's terrible. I'll be the first to admit it. And if he really is problem. evil, when well, when he, you know, when it turns out he's actually evil, I'll take a couple of days and mourn, and then I will write 
letters to everyone and, and say, you know, you were right, I was wrong. But um, I don't think I don't think in canon it's going to end with him being evil. I do, but but I will I will be so happy if it does because I think that would just. My heart I would love it. I would love if she that. tricked us all and really do. I could see. I could honestly see it going both ways, and my heart will just break either way, either good or bad way. But uh, my question is. Um, when he's there with Pansy and Pansy's about to get killed by Voldemort, he appears to to want to help her, and he mm-hmm. he kind of butts in and he he kind of says, you know, Pansy, you need to um, shut up, um, you know, kind I think of. He it. does want to help her. I, I mean, I think he's always defended the Slytherins, hasn't he? But and that's yeah. my question: Was he really wanting to help Pansy for the purpose that he was her head of house? Yeah, I think I don't think he wanted her to get killed. I think he definitely. There was no reason to kill her. I don't think he's he's the he's not the same as Voldemort. But they had to have a way to explain if I'm going to make him bad. His past, the way he's always acted in canon, still has to to follow through. So I think he did care about his Slytherins. Yeah, right. and the one thing I said too is he also took the unbreakable vow to save Draco. And, it, and you you don't take a vow where if you don't follow through, you're going to die if you don't care about the person on the other end of it. Well, it just seemed, you know, that it was so almost strange and out of character that he would care about somebody, <laughs> and and yet I really liked it, and and I and I think I'd even hoped that he would have taken a moment and looked sad and didn't, but he just goes back to his potion, so I I was a little confused. I mean, well, in a good I think way. That, that Snape too, though, like in the in the, I get the impression that he, there's stuff that he doesn't want to do, but he he he's the ultimate. He's going to do his job. He does that for Dumbledore too. When Dumbledore says, you know, to go back to be a spy, mm-hmm. and then you know he just he puts that mask on and 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 goes about and does what he has to do. What did you think of um, our conversation about Dumbledore as a portrait? Do you think the portrait in Deathly Hallows will be as interactive, or do you think? I don't know what to think. I think at the moment, I think I could get away with it because anything goes. Because we don't know that we don't yeah. have any guidelines to to fall back on. You know, we might after after this, but at the moment, I do think that portrait is going to come into play because of the comments she made about Dumbledore giving her a hard time. And and somebody said, "But isn't Dumbledore dead?" She's like, "Yeah, well, it's complicated." So to me, I took that either it's portrait or he somehow left something in the pensive for Harry but the pensive has to be a memory and since he did I don't think he can share his thoughts just by thinking them it has to be a memory of something he actually did to me I thought it would be the portrait that that is used that way maybe one more question a piece and then we'll wrap up because you guys have been doing this for a lot longer than I have tonight Alex we're going till 4.30 if Amy can do it we can do it (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say one comment before we start because I just think it's great I really liked um, the moments that it's always in in your fix too. I love the moments where you really advance um, the st- the stories in canon that we never got to see. Specifically, uh, Ginny's journey. I loved uh, two parts in particular. I love the part where Ginny holds um, th- the diary in her hands and realizes it's just a book. And I love the part where Ginny um, reflects that she passed out from the Dementor when it searched the train her second year. I thought those are that's that's why I love fan fiction. It's it's yeah, someone's poor Ginny. I mean, there's got to be. There's so much more to her story that we don't get yeah. to see at all, you know? And apparently um, she didn't enjoy sex the first time either, so I mean, poor. I really like the honesty of your writing there, honestly. 
I debated so long on whether or not I should include that or not. You know what I mean? That I've always like all through Power of Emotion, Curse of the Damned. I was like, no, you know, I'll I'll come up to it, I'll dance around it. But they're they're kids. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, he, 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 for crying out loud, he just defeated <laughs> Dark Lord. You know, <laughs> he gets a waiver. He's entitled to Snooky. Yeah. No, it's great. I was so thrilled with that. Honestly. Well, I- I have one question. I don't want this to be my last question, but it's related to what we're talking about. Because there is some adult content in your work, do you let your kids read your stuff? Nope. Really not? No. No, not yet. They're, my oldest is 10, so no. Oh, I, yeah. He doesn't even know what, what sex is yet, and I, I really I, want him to. Yeah. Okay, but I, didn't, he does, I didn't know the kids' age. you read Harry Potter? Yes. Um, my oldest has actually, since Christmas, has read all six books, and I told him, when he first started, I said, if you finish them, then I'll buy your own copy of, of Book 7. And he's so funny, because he did. He sat down, and he went through. And, you know, for third grader, I was pretty impressed with him. <laughs> well, yeah, and, that's... And beautiful. now he he doesn't want the last book to come out. He says, I, I like this anticipation, you know, for, the, for everything else. I he's know. the movies to go yeah. by. And he says, now this is going to be the last one, and, and, and we'll know. And I kind of like... Waiting Not for really. everybody else. That was amazing when, the, when when the word came out of the release date. Like three out of four people were like, "Can it come out next year? I'm free next year." Like, <laughs> do I have to do this now? I know, I know. That was. I so can't I'm taking decide. him. July 21st is his 10th birthday, actually, mm-hmm. and I'm taking him to the midnight oh. party to get his book. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, I'm jealous. Me too. Jen's like, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Melinda, I don't know what, how you feel about this. I'm sorry if it's too personal, but ha- okay. uh, the seventh Horcrux being released as the quote-unquote bootleg copy. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, <laughs> if you'd rather not touch that, no, it's that's... it's fine. It's it's. I don't know what to say. I don't know who did it. Um, I don't know what else I can do about it. <laughs> I just want to say this because you know I know you've commented on it before, especially um, on Leaky with their interview there, and you know, every, and for if you're living under a rock and you don't know what happened, uh, someone took a copy of the Seventh Horcrux and sold it as um, a pirate edition of Deathly Hallows. And if you know anything about the legal framework of a fan fiction world, you don't aggravate the people who are allowing you the right fan fiction. You, this isn't something that you can just do you have to get permission from the people who own harry potter to do it and just i'm going to say this i mean melinda was one of the first people who you know i read she was one of the first authors that brought me into the fan fiction world and um ever since we started reviewing her stuff you know she's been a really active member of our forum and and everyone who is on this podcast right now and everyone who is a member of perfect weekly likes melinda very much so just that's from not true yeah well except except <laughs> Mac, unfortunately we'd love her there you go and it's just like like just from my perspective i feel like somebody just stole like you know my my little friend's lunch money like like (laughs) like you 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 don't do that to someone as nice as melinda and i just i'm I'm just so you know proud of the way you handled it and what you know just you know it's just like the fact that you still want to be a part of the fandom after someone in the fandom did that to you i think is it's just i know you you don't let one person ruin it for everybody, but I am just so proud of the way you handled that, and you know, like, like it makes me so angry that someone would do that to someone like you, who is 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 trying to have a good time and just really trying to enjoy this for all it's worth. Well, the support of it is really amazing. Like, I had clicked on um, the Seventh Horcrux just to kind of see 
what people generally thought of the fic and things, you know, try to get some other outside in- input of the fic, other opinions and reviews. And it came up quite a lot, people's opinions on what... And it was so interesting to me that everybody who I, who knew about what happened were so upset for Melinda. Like, they weren't... Yeah. People you have know, been really great. They really it was have. surprising. It's a good fandom. It really is. It's, it is. Um, it's funny because I mean, there's certainly good things that have that have come from it for me. I I just it, it's it, it's getting new reviews all the time. You know, from the sites where where people have found out where it is now, and it's so funny to have like every day these new ones come in, and it's people who say, "I've never read a fanfic before." It's like, well, then maybe there there you know there's our our new people coming in. So that was that part of it's kind of cool. Yeah, I noticed that a few people had read it in from the email that it was the next thing and, and they knew that it was a fan fiction and they were just blown away by it and so you got a whole new fan base from this horrible thing it must yeah, be that, that, that's been the cool part there's also been these emails that people, and I don't know where they get I guess because my email must be associated with some of the sites but you know as if somehow that that, that, that I'm trying to pretend that I'm that I'm Joe Rowling and these emails that come in and it's like to the point for a while there I wouldn't even let the kids open up the email because they'll start with the swearing right away. I was like, whoa! Oh my gosh, are you Yeah, serious? it was wild, yeah. Well, I thought you handled it so well, and I'm so jealous that you got to talk to Melissa. <laughs> was that Melissa? You didn't get to talk to Melissa. No, Doris. She was really nice. Doris. Oh, gosh. I still think that's cool. It still makes me angry. I want to go find these people. You don't get to send a mean email. Like, like that's the thing. It's like, I got pulled over speeding once, and the 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 the, the trooper tried to pull me over. What? Well, I got pulled over speeding several times, but in one incident <laughs> where I got pulled over speeding, the trooper tried to pull me over, and it was very ambiguous what he was doing. So I continued driving, and he jumped in his cruiser and he came after me, and he was a little angry. And I looked up at him and I said, "You know, trooper, I'm driving a Corolla. I'm not going to be able to lose you." And it's do people really think that Melinda would pass herself off as J.K. Rowling and nobody would figure out that she lives in Massachusetts? Like, come, like, come on. <laughs> okay, here. All I have to say is, if we can trace ISP numbers to figure out that certain people have sock puppets, we can figure out that Melinda Leo <laughs> is popping is from Massachusetts. Like, come on. We're a fandom of people who have way too much time on our hands. <laughs> if there was a scandal, we'd figure it out. This is true. So Melinda, like, seriously, like, round of drinks is on me that the one we meet because like, for everything you went through there, I just, I think it's amazing. Cool. You're like, you're like, <laughs> well, we'll wait till she's off her bike and then, and then we'll go for it. <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to think of a really the bad guy in this one, Jen, but, but I, I don't yeah. think Hannon's going to play out that way, so. I sincerely hope that you're wrong, <laughs> you know, that, uh, in the fic. <laughs> I, I totally hope that you're right in, in your comment. What um, about Draco? Is Draco going to be? You know. I think he's going to be redeemed. I think he's one to be redeemed, too. I think, again, Jen's going to hate this, but <laughs> I think it would, <laughs> I think it, the funniest thing would be if, if, you know, Voldemort and Snape, I mean, Snape and Draco go back to Voldemort after not killing Dumbledore the way that was supposed to happen, and, and they just wipe out Draco right at the beginning. <laughs> that would be so funny. That would be sort of justified. <laughs> I, I can admit, he's been a little bad, not nice person, but... Oh. He tried to kill Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I he mean, really he didn't care Canada. about Ron or Katie. You know, it was just kind of random. Like, oops. But they could have died. You know, he, he's he's not a nice kid. No, he's, he's not. He's a troubled youth. Oh, I just thought of my final question. Go. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it before I forget, please. Right. Go okay. for it, you. Um. Okay, now, Melinda, I'm just curious to know, because I, I know we talked a little bit about this and we did the pod, writing podcast, but um, just about writing in general. Um, do you do you feel like you're getting better? Do you feel like every new story you write is, is an improvement? And what, what skills do you think you're getting better on? And, and where do you think you still need to improve? Is the fandom helping you become a better writer? I guess that's my question. I think so. Um, it, it, I don't have any kind of formal writing training so I'm, I'm sure there's tons of areas where I still need to improve but it helped me put together like I would be one to start stories constantly and then never finish anything but this got me in the habit of of plotting out where I wanted to go so even if during the writing I kind of got lost on a tangent I had that outline to pull myself back into where I'm supposed to be so so yeah just putting it together and making it a full story arc and getting all my little details where I wanted them. I think that's come a long way for me. Mine's less of a question, more of just a comment. Um, thinking back on the fic as a whole, which is kind of hard to do when we are just podcasting on certain chapters, I really like a lot of... You know, we, we had a lot of discussion about this being a plot-based fic, and for the most part it is. But mm-hmm. you, you, you always do such great character work with the kids, and I love, you know, for example, the scene when Harry is attacked by Ron for apparently trying to rape Ginny in the bed next to him. <laughs> well, you gotta understand, at that point, too, they're, they're tired, they're frustrated, things aren't going as well, and, and how do they all respond to things? Ha- Harry kind of gets cranky and a bit moody, Hermione gets a little panicky and short, and Ron blows his fuse. Yeah, I love that, so, because... So that's- you know, he, he, he wakes up, he's groggy, half asleep, and he hears Ginny saying, stop it, get off me, you know, and, you know, act, react first and think about it later is, is kind of Ron's. And I'm glad that was addressed because I, I, for one, just because I read so much fan fiction, it seems like in every chapter of every fan fiction, Ron is being a stubborn git. And it's like, you're like oh, just stop it. And I'm glad that he got to see the consequence of that and how much it hurt Harry and I'm, I'm glad that got to be worked out. And, it, you know, when you go forward to the epilogue, you get to see that everything worked out okay with them. Obviously, you know, th- they miss the fact that, you know, Harry's cousin killed his you know, uncle. But <laughs> you know, I, I just like that you, you're you able to leave Harry and Ron off, you know, walking off to Ron's wedding. You know, Ron's freaked out. and They're just kind of like punching at each other, you know, playfully. I just think you did just an amazing job, you know, with those characters there. And just as I think down the line, just, you know... I, you know, we mentioned this earlier tonight um, before we brought you on. Um, I really, you know, you, you do epilogues, you know, very well. I, you know, the epilogue and in, in Curse of the Damned is great, and the epilogue, you know, the Seventh Horcrux is very good. I actually preferred uh, the Seventh Horcrux better because, it, you know, I felt like, you know, it, it's easy to say, you know, Harry and Jenny got married and had 10,000 babies. Ron and Ryan got married and had 10,000 no, babies. seven babies because they need their own Quidditch team. They I do. still want that for Harry. <laughs> and I got to love the name of the last one, too. But, um... <laughs> Mac is in the run and go read it, but um, it's I, very good. It's it's probably one of my favorite stories of all time. I read, I read what I read what Parfic Weekly reads. Okay, well, <laughs> Parfic Weekly will apparently be reading. I Christmas do Hammer. want to do I the know, power I of a lot of comments on the fact that I had Harry name his son James, and that 
some people, I mean, everybody has an opinion on a name, I think, anyway. But a lot of say, oh, no, Harry wouldn't do that. But I, I really do think Harry would because he's surrounded by the Weasleys, and he loves the Weasleys, and, you know, they consider him part of them. But they're still Ginny's family. And so he's, mm-hmm. they've got grandparents and aunts and uncles and all that. So I do think that he'd want to pull a little bit of his own heritage in there. So I do think he would name children after his parents. And it's like the reverse. It's Harry James, James Harry. Right. And well, that's the European thing is to include the, the name in there. Yeah. And the only th- the only, yeah. And the only other thing I could possibly think is if he named it, you know, after Remus somehow, because Remus or Sirius were the ones who he knew. He didn't really know his dad, but he knew those two. Well, that was only the first kid. He's got more chances. Yeah, they got a lot more kids. <laughs> but I really love that you focused on just James because the one thing I said earlier is that, you know, you know, I re- like in epilogues, I usually have a hard time with them because I feel like the characters are different because now we jumped four years. So it's like I don't have enough time to get, you know, realigned to the characters. But I'd like to see what, you know, you can tell us about these new change characters. I don't really care about, you know, the new ones, you know, the kids and, you know, the. the the, the you know the wives that they met you know in the interim, but I really care about what these you know other people show us about the characters that we've just read about. And I thought you did just such a cute job with James and like his little habit, like pulling the glasses off Harry's head and all that. And just, oh, oh, Jen starts crying and controlled. <laughs> I just love that, and I love like how you capture when they try to take Harry away, and he's so he doesn't he wants to hold on to him. Yeah. I, oh, I was just like, oh. I think it would be a really neat fic to explore, you know, how Harry would be a parent, actually, when he's older. I don't know if you make a whole fic out of it, though, but, I mean, he's never had any kind of a role model. Rediscovering so, Lily, Melinda. <laughs> Rediscovering Lily, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> is that what you do, Harry being a, a parent? Is that Well, yeah, Jenny is pregnant right now, and... Um, the chapter where the child is born is the next one, and then it's going to be about ten more chapters. So, so him figuring out to be how to be a parent. Oh, okay, very cool. All right, right. covering Lily. Thank you. Perfectweekly.com/library. Right, so so right. okay. No, no, don't do. We have to do it too. We have to have it. We, we then we can compare and contrast. Uh, <laughs> um, don't compare and contrast. That's kind of like comparing and contrasting. Um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien with somebody who writes for Harlequin. <laughs> like, Linda is so much better than me. Just don't. That's silly. Don't go there. No. Yeah. But, but I will say this. Obviously. It is. It's a great idea, though. And, and the emotional side of it, I think you could bring a ton of angst out of that. I, I think it's oh, a yeah. great idea, too. And I don't want to spoil your um, upcoming sequel, which we all know you're, you'll write. <laughs> but what happens to everybody? What happens 20, 30, 40 years after your epilogue? How does everyone turn out? I don't know. I, I don't like... I don't enjoy Next Generation stories, so I would never go that far. I, okay. I like... I don't like them either. I don't like Marauder Fix, and I don't like Next Generation. I like to focus on on Harry and Ron and Hermione and, and Jean. I, I like no, that. what happens with them? That's my question. What happens with those But things? I... I, I don't I, I think Ron and Harry are going to become Oris mm-hmm. and Dudley I don't think Dudley is smart enough to be the next Dark Lord on, Dark Lord on his own but I think with a little help he's already proved that he can gain followers he can get people to do his bidding he's a bully I, I think if he got some help in the magical world Snape sorry Jen um, then I think that, that he uh, he could be trouble but what about his upbringing? He had such a good upbringing. He was given everything he wanted. He has no reason to hate the world. 
<laughs> I don't know. That just seems I, like a summary for a sequel, doesn't it? <laughs> well, then, if she doesn't write it, I'm going to. I'm going to take her characters and, and yeah. I there think I really liked that you only gave Harry one little boy rather than 8,000 kids all of a sudden. Well, it's only been four years, Jen. I mean, come on. Well, you know, though, so many fics, like, man, Jenny's popping them out already, but... Yeah, 8,000 think- kids in four years, like... She'd be popping them out every minute. <laughs> well, you Harry, know Harry did the say they were going to get an enormous amount oh, of practice. Oh, but they're wizards. There must be some way they can make all that easier. <laughs> yeah, the pregnancy is only a couple of weeks long. Uh, I don't. But um, but anyway, I just really liked. I just that those last four or five chapters, honestly, I just cried through. It was either sad crying or happy crying, and there was no in between. Oh, I don't it was want well, how can it? You wrote the most angsty chapter I've ever read in my life. I like angst. <laughs> Did you just say, "Oh yeah"? There's a, there's, a, there's someone out there. We'll call her Jen. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I like yeah. I like the angsty ones that that make you cry. But it's an even if it's sad, it's a it's a good sad. It's it's different than just being sad. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just cried a lot. Jen doesn't really distinguish why she's crying. She just knows that she is. Yeah, it's just emotional. Oh, oh man. Well, Melinda, we're, we're going to let you go because we know you're probably exhausted. We can't thank you enough for not only putting yourself in the hot seat and letting us critique publicly your work, <laughs> but agreeing to do it again in the future. My God, are you nuts? <laughs> Well, yes, I, can't no. I can't wait to do the power yeah, No promises that I won't squirm again, but but I can I can do it. I don't think you're going to have much to squirm about with power of emotions. Don't worry about it. Anyone yeah. who can put up with this much Mac is is, is okay in my book. This oh, is true. even great Mac. And, and thank you for continuing to talk to us. Yes, thank you yeah. for not hating us. Of course not. Oh, man. And you know what? I feel very sad that this is goodbye to the Seventh Horcrux and goodbye to Melinda. Although I just realized no, in my not. head, I just realized in my head that Melinda's doing more podcasts with us in the very short near future. Yeah, we're so doing the the Deathly Hollow stuff. Right? We're doing we're doing the Deathly Hollow stuff and we're going to do like a recommendation um, podcast. Like, what kind of fix should people be reading? You know, if they're coming to the, the fan fiction world right after. Um, Deathly Hallows, like, and they need, like, an emergency fic to read because they're <laughs> crying hysterically. Basically, we're just going to refer them to all your stuff, but... Crying yeah. hysterically. You need... What it, Harry, Harry's Dilemma on the Sugar Quilt. You That's think? always what I go to to read if I ever read a really sad one and I need something to cheer me up. I always go back and look at Harry's Dilemma. I'm going to have to go check that out. Well, have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you uh, very soon. We have some special podcasts coming out. Enjoy... Uh, Deathly Hallows, if you don't hear from us before then. And uh, we'll be back with uh, A Year Like None Other, August 15th. Have a great night. Good night. Good night, everyone. So don't you ever wonder what will happen when Hey everyone, this is Mac with another mailbag for Potterfic Weekly. We have a couple letters this week which look to be very full and very enriching, so let's get started. Our first one says, Dear PFW, what is the capital of Montana? 
Signed, Globeless Trotter. Um, dear Globeless Trotter, this isn't a Dear Abby column. Please quit using such goofy names. And if that's your real name, I'm sorry on so many levels. Um, I can't believe you sent an email to a Harry Potter fanfiction site because you want to know the capital of a U.S. city. Get a globe. That's not what we're here for. And the capital is Helena. Moving on, our next letter says, Dear PFW, <clears throat> I just wanted to say how much I've come to love Melinda's work. I enjoyed the seventh Horcrux so much that I plan on reading everything she has written. Sincerely, Headmaster Ryan. Um, Headmaster Ryan, you've been doing the podcast with us up until this week. You don't need to send us fan letters. Uh, you could have told her yourself. However, you do bring up a good point. Uh, Melinda Leo has done several other works, which include The Power of Emotion and its sequel, uh, Curse of the Damned. Both of those can be found at her website, www.melindaleo.com, uh, or if you pester us enough, we might be able to send you the links ourselves. Our next one says, Dear Potterfic Weekly, is it true that the Potterfic Weekly forums just brought two new professors and has begun teaching magic on the forums? Uh, that is, in fact, true. I was the first professor on our staff pr teaching Ancient Ruins, and we've recently had two new additions. We've had Jake, who has graduated to the level of professor and is teaching potions, the slime ball, and Taylina, who has agreed to teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. Also on staff is Jen, our favorite host, who is now teaching Transfiguration, and the four of us are teaching our classes on the forums. If any of you listeners are interested in participating in these classes, uh, join us at www.potterficforums.com and uh, jump right in, answer some questions, and learn a lot of magic that you didn't previously know. Our last letter for this week says, Dear Rinna, I've been having some recent problems with my next-door neighbor. I pay that little brat 10-year-old $10 a week to mow my lawn, but recently his work has been rather slipshod. Would it be possible to rent Bernard the Goat? Wow. Um, I think I'm going to put that in Rena's inbox and let that one go. She can answer that on her own time. Anyways, that's all for this week. Remember, if you have any comments you'd like to make about our podcast or any questions you'd like to ask, just drop us an email to staff at potterficweekly.com and we'll include you in our weekly mailbag. This is Mac, and have a great week. Hello? 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 Who is that? Who is that? Che, did you read that story that I gave you? Oh, yes. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Very vaguely, what did you think? Um, it was wonderful. It was yes. just what I wanted. Are you trading smut on the forums again? <laughs> no, Ryan, of course not. No, that's not. <laughs> No. <laughs> Mac, are we having a serious delay again? Mac, say hi right now. Oh, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> hi right now. <laughs> oh shit, that was like <laughs> Mac. That was you're like five minutes. Max, oh you're hearing God. this like an hour from now, but that was like an eight-second delay. Um, what did we do the last time to fix this? Hang on. <laughs> No. <laughs> Hold on, Mac. Hello. Hello. Like it wasn't as bad when they were on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Mac, 
I don't understand. All right, hold on. Let's gauge the reaction. Mac, say hi right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Hi right now. Oh my god, Stan's <laughs> Oh hang on. Max, say hi right now. Dang it. I know. Does Max seem like he's talking like in slow motion like right his batteries now. are right? He does. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mac, your, your voice is slowing down like this. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? I'm hearing voices. Are I'm they- hearing voices. Are they ours? Like somebody else? No, like somebody else is in the room. All right, Jen. If they tell you to set things on fire, don't <laughs> I was just asking quit. if y'all were hearing them too. Like they they keep taking my attention. Oh my god! I'm not gonna lie. I have to. I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. <laughs> have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, have you given Cheese some of your drugs? Gee, I just have to actually ask. It will, this will help for the podcast. What medication are you on right now? Uh, look for the little bottle somewhere near you. It'll be written, and it'll be the one know, word on there you can't pronounce. Oh, it's it's downstairs though, because my mom is keeping it in a cabinet. Is it Vicodin? Um, yeah, I think it might be. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like or Just so everyone has the run of it, we've had um, <laughs> we've had Jen high once, and we've had Chi. This is her second what? time. For the record, Mac is drug free. No <laughs> kidding. Um, not sweat free, apparently. Shoot <laughs> you, Love you, buddy. Love. Stifle. <laughs> Stifle. Phil's online. Get him in here. Phil? No. Oh, yeah, sure. Why not get him? Get Phil. Phil. I'm not sure if Phil, Phil has actually read the seventh work. <laughs> Loser. Oh. He can fake it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Love um, you, Melinda. <laughs> just ask vague questions. So, Melinda, <laughs> you wrote this story. How <laughs> <I> was that? <laughs> I, I love what you did with the character of Sirius in the early chapters. Question, Ryan, why are we... Never mind. I'll ask you that later. Are you asking why are we here? Like Admiral Stockdale? No. Like, you... We're interviewing no. Melinda, Chief. Well, I have that on my screen. I have, we're interviewing Melinda written out on my screen. Please <laughs> <laughs> forget what we're doing. You are much better. Well, well I think this might be a much funnier interview if you interviewed Chi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I tell you what. I, I'll go through the list of people and everyone yells out, hey, everybody, okay? Okay. Right. Okay. I yell out, hey, everybody. Yeah. Sure, Jen. When I, okay, Jen, the fact that the Viking girl is giving you stage directions should be a sign of things to come. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right. Chi, how you doing? Huh? How you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, darling. I am fabulous. <laughs> 
Melinda's like, oh. what? Melinda's like, they micro, they they analyzed every word I wrote, and now the drunk people are interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about. Um, just well, fix your mic. Talk- you just fix your mic, a little bit. Sorry. It's it's falling down. Give me two seconds. Okay. Um, I know what state you live in. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I know the general whereabouts of you in the book. That was a scary key. (laughs) My best friend says I'm a mean person, and I'm like, you should talk to the people at Potterfig Weekly, because they're not scared of me at all. Yeah, I gotta go to bed. I'm tired. Wimps. Drugged up wimps. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potherfickweekly.com.